part two. All right. Who is what did I, who did I say is next? You. Uh, remember next. you, you tried to play those games yeah, with yeah. me? Oh yeah, yeah. I was playing games. Playing games. Let's get into my flick, um, which, as I said, 1988 version of the Blob. Now, for all the all of uh, all of you who may be familiar with uh, with the original. Um, the Blob from 1958, which is streaming uh, for uh, free on Tubi, uh, blessed be. Um, the original Blob is, I, I think it would be safe to say that it was one of the earliest kind of cult movies. Um, I mean, it is very much a, you know, mid-century, you know, nuclear age sci-fi creature feature type of film you know drive-in type of movie probably one of the most famous and and memorable drive-in movies of all time starring a very young uh steve mcqueen who come on how don't you like steve mcqueen but it is a little corny a little silly but kind of transgressive in a way where especially for 1958 because the kids all know what's happening and the parents and authority figures and cops and everything don't and the kids have to like kind of come together to save the town which in 1958 would have been you know quite trans transgressive and a lot of movies i think that ultimately took that premise and ran with it were very much influenced by this one yeah that that's interesting, though, because also the the film is very heavily anti-communist propaganda. It is, too. Yeah, it's very like nationalistic, mm-hmm. like this next generation's going to save America or something. Yeah, it, it's it's a very strangely toned film and also has one of the greatest um, uh, like theme songs ever, <laughs> which is so weird and silly. And if you've not heard it, uh, I'm not going to even do it justice. Go on YouTube and just put in the blob theme. Yeah, beware of the blob. Weird, yeah. Beware of the blob. It's so strange and I love it. And my kids love it. And we listen to it in the car all the time. Um, <laughs> in any case, this is a, a much... The 1988 version is a much grittier kind of reimagination, but it is truly a modernized. I would say it's somewhere between a remake and a reimagination because there are some shots, a number of shots that are completely just modernized mimic shots of the original film. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are different themes and they take great care to subvert some of your expectations based on the first movie. So Mm -hmm. um, it's directed by Chuck Russell, who uh, horror fans would probably know because he directed uh, perhaps the, maybe not the best, but certainly the most fun movie from the uh, nightmare on Elm street franchise, which is dream warriors. But it's just a great example of aesthetically, thematically, it is such a great representation of that transition time between like the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. Like it is late 80s, early 90s is just like very much a sweet spot for me just because of my age. Um, <laughs> but also it just it's just a really charming flick that is not too... It's not too soft. It's got it's got some definitely got some hard edges to it. Oh, it's yeah. got some mean parts to it, um, but it's still just fucking fun. Uh, and, and, and we talked. And I've watched, to, we talked about how my film has the killing of a child, yeah, which is not common. Yeah. So does your film? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> it's got uh yeah kids get melted it's fucking mm. sick um anyway it also uh, i think i mentioned this to the live show it stars uh one mr kevin dylan also as... wish.com ethan hawk nope 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 um he is the <laughs> real real life down and dirty gritty ass ethan hawk um kevin dylan playing the character of Brian motherfucking flag. He is just, I, I love him because he's a protagonist who is just a white trash shitbird. Um, <laughs> and I love that because he just reminds me of me as a kid, just being like a little white trash dickhead, like setting off bottle rockets in the woods and fucking sneaking beers and like hating also- authority. <laughs> Did you also have Sigourney Weaver hair and a pig oh, nose? I fucking wish he does have a pig nose. God bless him. Um, yeah, so he's like doing sweet motorcycle jumps. And like, who doesn't want to do sweet motorcycle jumps in the woods? <laughs> um, also, I have to call out because there are some great, great character actors, which I'll call out here. Uh, Jeffrey DeMunn is the sh- is Sheriff Herb, and he's in like fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you all know I love some some quality character actors and he is in Shawshank Redemption the Green Mile uh for horror fans uh the mist car uh Christmas Evil and the Hitcher he's just in some fucking classics so uh I'm gonna call Brian fucking flag just BFF um just for short (laughs) BFF is always getting flack from the man Right. He comes from like, a, you know, his 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 mom's an alcoholic, his dad, you know, broken home type of situation. You know, he's making the best of it. He's doing sweet motorcycle jumps. He's got a sick jacket. But the sheriff and everyone's always giving him flack and like targeting him and giving him a bunch of shit. Um, so he gets established early on alongside uh, some other characters, which is a little different than the first one, because the first one, it's like Steve McQueen is clearly like he is the protagonist. He is the 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 guy who's like got his head on his shoulders and, you know, he's kind of um, almost this weird, like puritanical ideal in the first movie. Um, it, it's almost feels because there's a lot of interaction between Steve McQueen and all the other teenagers, whether it be, um, you know, the girl that he's dating or his kind of almost bullies that then come to respect him. And it's weird because he's first of all, he's Steve McQueen. So he's super recognizable. He also seems to be quite a bit older than the majority of them. And it Mm -hmm. feels like one of their dads is just (laughs) happens to be a student at the high school. That's kind of what it feels like in the first movie. Whereas in this one, I'm just imagining that Steve Buscemi meme. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Hello, fellow kids. Yeah. He's like fucking, you know, smoking a cigarette and like he's got, (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's, he bff he feels like the outsider like i guess literally and figuratively, he seems like a character from the outsiders also um i I, I, and it's just a note i have but it's just like everybody in this film is kind of ugly yeah that's also i like that no i love that there's no like there's no fucking you know uh extremely good looking people in this movie with the exception of shawnee smith and then like well shawnee smith but she's Shawnee Smith is weird because she is extremely physically attractive, but she speaks when she speaks, she sounds stupid. I don't know how else to say it. She does. I was just going to say she's not overly sexualized. No, she's not overly sexualized at all, which is cool, too. But she 
talks like a moron. Well, I'm, I think say, I'm sorry. I think you're just hearing a southern accent. Brian. No, 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 no. <laughs> she, like no, she talks. <laughs> she doesn't sound smart when she talks. I'm sorry. I, there's no other delicate way of putting it. Well, she and, sounds like a teenager. <laughs> yeah, and she does. She pulls off the girl next door so yeah. well because she sounds like a dumbass. 17 year old kid he's so you know offended I mean? right now but you know what guys i think we need to take a step back though and really look at the blob though the blob was pretty attractive you know yeah blob was right. general. it's pretty good looking. Yeah. it's a pretty right. good looking blob um but but yeah yeah i'm i'm with you on that brian though because like everybody it does look much more like a small town whereas like the original blob you're gonna have a whole bunch of hollywood process people yeah and then like any film that's like made nowadays, especially like I think of the the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, God. everybody is hot as fuck. Dude, and I saw the previews for the, the 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 Hocus Pocus, you know, movie that's coming out this year, the mm, sequel yeah. to Hocus Pocus, and all the kids, yeah, look like they're fucking movie stars. It just sucks. Right. The eighties was great because you could be unique looking, mm-hmm. and and honestly. I'm listen, I'm not trying to take this down to a, a whole nother rabbit hole here, but I do think that's a big reason why people like Stranger Things a lot. Is yeah. there some like unique looking actors in sure. there? They're not right. all they don't all look like, like this like classically, you know, they don't all look like fucking Rob Lowe or 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 somebody, you know what I mean, who's just like chiseled jawline, super mm-hmm. classically attractive. It's not that these people that aren't attractive um, they're just unique looking, mm-hmm. characterful faces, which I always, always appreciate. Yeah. Um, the, the only one that stands out in Stranger Things and they have to ugly her up is Maya yeah. Hawk because she is the child of Uma Thurman and Ethan yeah, Hawke. Yeah, very, yes. very attractive people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and, and she kind of stands out for that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're um, like, be ugly. She's like, I can't. Yeah, yeah. She's like, no, I literally have supermodels as my parents. I can't. Um, but uh, anyway, um, so you you get the replay basically of the scene from the original movie with the local hermit out in the woods who gets, uh, you know, his hand munched on by the blob. And for those of you who haven't seen the first blob, I mean, this is something that's like highly referenced. You know, listen, the 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 uh, the Muppet Babies did it did a spoof on the blob. Um, it is a, a kind of a cultural phenomena of the last, you know, Really up until probably the year 2000. I don't think anybody knows or gives a shit about it now. But like, I think if somebody said the blob, you would be like, most people would be able to tell you what it's about, you Mm -hmm. know, which is just like some alien type of thing that comes down on a on a damn uh, meteorite and it just absorbs things and gets bigger and more powerful as it absorbs things. I mean, the Simpsons have done it. Everyone's done some sort of take on, you know, the blob or some sort of creature like that. I feel um, like the blob, like, in its, like, acidity is, like, the chemical equivalent for us as PAA. Like, I was just yeah. like, that's probably exactly how it feels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, don't tuck your pants into your <laughs> yeah. your boots because the blob's going to get in your shoes. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it, it goes... Uh, it just takes things a little bit more to an extreme, a little bit more, you know, brutal. The first movie is, I mean, I watched the first movie with my seven-year-old and she wasn't scared. You know, she really enjoyed it. This movie, I would not watch with her. You know, it's much more oh. brutal. It's much more violent. Mm-hmm. It's much more gory. Yeah, there's a lot of like charming, you know, mid to late 80s scenarios like them buying rubbers in the in the drugstore and all that sort of stuff, which we won't get into. But it's not just all gritty gore and stuff like that. There's a lot of like lighthearted 80s teen stuff going on. Um, But the, the great thing that they do 
is they kind of pull a psycho a little bit in that they set up, um, you know, BFF. He's kind of on the periphery and you wonder whether he's going to be the main character or not. But you get Paul and Meg and they like Paul. There's a whole scene of Paul playing football, Paul talking to his friends about how he wants to ask out Meg and Paul, you know, getting knocked, you know, kind of almost like embarrassing himself. But then ultimately kind of sweeping Meg off her feet by, uh, you know, asking her out after he gets pummeled in the football game kind of thing. So they're very much setting Paul up as being the Steve McQueen. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they completely flip it on its head. And after they take Paul in, I'm sorry, the, 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 guy who lives out in the woods, the hermit, into on, into the hospital. Paul's the guy who is doing the Steve McQueen stuff. He's going to do the right thing. He's going to take charge. And he gets brutally fucking eaten by the blob 15 minutes into the movie. Mm-hmm. So, no. you know, they Janet Lee is ass. And you do not see that coming. I kind of um, like that. I, I thought it was... Uh, that's one of my best, best parts of the movie, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So now, all of a sudden... BFF has to kind of slide in be be the protagonist but he's the he's the um you know he's not the the pure chase Paul he is the um you know kind of I want to say anti-hero but he's the outsider who has to come in and like save the town because he has this you know you don't have to be the corn-fed football captain boy next door or girl next door to be a hero, you can come from a checkered background and still mm-hmm. save the day, mm-hmm. you know, which right. is kind of the, the the message here that the first movie doesn't do at all. Yeah. And, and they also focus a lot more on Shawnee Smith as well. Like, True. So it, they they take it away from, you know, the, the, the all-American quarterback, you mm-hmm. know, football hero, and then give it to, you know, this outsider, but also they give it to a female protagonist as well. Yeah, and she ultimately defeats the blob in the end mm-hmm, like she mm-hmm. figures out how to do it and ultimately defeats it um in the end but um one thing i had to note note um and and it's similar to the original one so it does take this cue and, and run with it but it, it it builds on it is this idea of like um authority figures are not to be trusted whether mm-hmm. they're adults or the government or cops or anyone just like fuck them do not do not listen to them. Question everything they say. Even so much so as like when they go into the hospital, the nurse and the doctors are real pieces of shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like they're like they bring in this like, you know, guy who who very much looks like, um, you know, a stereotypical, you know, homeless person who has this stuff on his hand. And the first thing she wants to know is like, does she have does he have insurance? Right. You know what I mean? The kind of thing. So it's like it's this very like cynical. All adults are cynical and inherently can't be trusted. Um, and then, uh, like I said, quickly thereafter, you know, you think Paul is here for for the long haul and, and then he gets completely fucked up and you get these really super creepy eyes as his body is like kind of being melted, which is sweet. I just wrote he gets blobbed super hard. Um <laughs> And and honestly, one of my most favorite, like there's a 10 minute span in this movie where a few of my all time favorite practical effects come into play. One is Paul reaching out as he's getting blobbed uh, and uh, and Tawny Smith Meg is 
freaking out, screaming and all this stuff. And uh, and then she tries to save him by pulling him and his arm comes off because the difference with this, the blob in this movie is it's it's much more menacing. If you've seen the first movie, it basically looks like somebody was making taffy down on the boardwalk <laughs> and they just let the taffy like just slop like slop over things or squeezed it through holes and also and often like just shot it in reverse. So it hey looked guys, like I it was climbing up something. Yeah, it's like, no, it's hey, guys, I got an idea. I just was down yeah, on yeah. the boardwalk. Yeah, it looks like sugar. Like the first one, like the, the blob in the first movie looks like app like appetizing almost. It looks like cooling hard candy <laughs> you know what i mean like a mass a large amount of cooling hard candy whereas in this it looks like like some sort of synthetic fat but it's also you know what i mean it's yeah. like very gelatinous and and gross and it has amorphous. like a membrane to it yeah whereas whereas the one in the original just yeah it just looks like sugar looks like right. melt, like tempering sugar mm. but yeah it looks like jelly because i mean like that was the muppy muppet baby's take on it was that it was like a jar of jam or whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah um but uh yeah so the arm comes off which is sweet oh and also in this instance it is super strong Mm-hmm. It's much faster. It's super strong. It's almost a cross between the blob and like the stuff because it's also like intel- much more intelligent, much more deliberate in its actions, and it's highly corrosive. So mm-hmm. if it touches you, like you're fucked, which in the first movie was like that too, but really more just for like human skin. Whereas in this movie, it's like anything it touches, it like. It's highly corrosive. I feel like the spe- like special effects, like growing in like people's ability to do something, definitely worked in the favor for the blob in this one. Because I would mm-hmm. say like that the blob in this like the uh, remake, I think was really it actually was kind of scarier to be able to like see the face like through the blob the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I yeah. think that just because it's this, more like, translucent very, in that yeah, way. Yeah, it's like super spooky effect. But yeah, they. Uh, you know, they cut to and, and again, they kind of show the seedier side of like this kind of like teen dating culture where you have Scott, who is who is uh, Paul, who who already got blobbed, um, is out with Vicky and he's got he's a full on rapist. He's got his rape car where he's like trying to get her drunk and then she passes out. He thinks she passes out, but then he decides he's going to have his way with her, which is like a pretty dark scene. Super gross. And then um, he gets blobbed and they both get blobbed. Uh, She had presumably already been blobbed um, because she's dead. But then the blob plays a trick on her on him and like hides until he's going to like try to feel her up and then it just then it blobs him blob as a noun and a verb is just yeah. intense the blob right blobbed him hard <laughs> but he got the blobbed. only thing that i wanted to like i like i was like after that scene i was like i want i really like his like trunk bar but i'm like he's super rapey and i can't like yeah, the trunk bar sick the trunk, trunk, bar, yeah, tr- separate. trunk bar seems like a thing Wee herman would have a little bit yeah so i'm like oh cool trunk bar Definitely but then yeah he's using part. it for ne- nefarious purposes yeah tr- trunk bar is awesome for a tailgate but like trunk bar doesn't make a whole lot of sense otherwise no logistically speaking trunk Stevie, bar don't understand is, my life yeah <laughs> You're like being I think it's good for tailgate. <laughs> but just like poppy like if you're going to a show, Meg, you can pop open trunk bar before you go in to see whatever doom metal you're about to watch. Whoa. Yeah. But Whoa. Whoa, but shots fired. If you're just assaulting women in the woods, trunk bar is dumb. Yeah. It's trunk bar's just for him. He didn't even show yeah. it off. Yeah. Yeah. 
Man, um, I just how do you keep certain things cold? You know, it's the whole process. <laughs> you know. He had loose strawberries in trunk bar. That didn't make any sense. He also had a little basketball hoop. Yeah. <laughs> basketball. It's just for him. What it actually, That's here, great for tailgate. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Great idea um, for trunk bar. A little basketball hoop, but you put a drink under it and you like throw yeah. your like fruits and then it throw goes a maraschino in cherry in it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm with yeah. you, Meg. Yeah. But Scott is a pervert. Yeah. No, yeah Scott's I already established that. I already said it. Listen, per- it it's okay to be a pervert. Scott's a rapist. <laughs> oh, yeah. Scott is a rapist. <laughs> yeah. There's a difference. I'm a yeah. pervert. Scott's a rapist. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. Um, fair. <laughs> anyway, my favorite part of the movie, and this is why I like fucking Brian fucking flag. This guy just fucks. Is he is in. So they bring him in after they find Paul, who's been melted, by the way. And they think that BFF did it. Like, how do you think he did that? What do you think that he threw acid on him? I don't know. But they already have it out for him. So they, they haul him in. And the, and there's the there's the sheriff, which we talked about. Sheriff Herb. He's a dickhead. Um, and then there's the, there's this, this little man syndrome asshole with a Fu Manchu um, mm-hmm. who, who's like just a little baby bitch. And he but he's like really <laughs> he's got like the Napoleon syndrome super hard. Um, and he's getting right in BFF's face, which BFF, by the way, is a more badass, realistic, not as good looking, but in a positive way, version of John Bender from The Breakfast Club. Like, you know, fair enough. Yeah, fair Judd enough, Nelson, yeah. Judd Nelson's too good looking to be white trash, whereas BFF is exactly looks like, like I grew up with 10 kids who look just like that. <laughs> um <laughs> And whenever he gets right in his face and he's like, you know, fuck you, dickhead. He just whatever. has a he gets face, right face like he's just perpetually mad and probably smoked since he was in the womb. Yeah. Like he just he's has a little rat faced white trash asshole. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love him for it. <laughs> and when the cop gets right in his face and he licks his face. Oh, my God. <laughs> such a fucking <laughs> badass move. <laughs> How cool was that though? When he when he when he's just it's a fucking boss move. My, and he, my question is, Brian, how do you not recognize Emil from Robocop? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot yeah. that he gets fucking melted too. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a melting guy. No, I, I have that below here because oh, okay. there's so many good character actors in here. Yeah, um, I was like, how do you not recognize one of the, probably the like that the most iconic legacy. scene? Yeah, yeah. That dude's well, legacy is being a mutant splattered on a windshield. But like in his defense, when he's being melted, he doesn't really look like him anymore. No, not really, his face is all melty. But anyway, yeah, he. Um, there's so many good character actors in this, uh, which I'll get to in a second. But he licks his little bitch cop's face, which is sweet. Um, and then Meg's waiting for BFF to walk out of jail and then they like go over to the diner and that's when they start to connect a little bit. So another great scene that's about to happen. The blob is, is in the diner and there's a clogged drain and ultimately leads to a a, a line cook who's trying to just good natured guy. They didn't set him up to be anything less than just a guy who's trying to help working at the diner. He gets pulled into the drain by the blob and it like basically it's like he gets sucked into a some sort of machine or something because he gets pulled so hard through the drain and it just basically like fucking liquefies him um and it's fucking sick and then blood's coming out of the the pipes uh and then the blob ultimately launches itself up out of the ceiling and just an awesome uh, awesome scene but this is how they get to the point of without them being trapped already 
mimicking the scene from the first movie where they identify that the blob is susceptible to cold. But they do the same thing in the, you know, in in the in the walk in freezer of the diner instead of like the meat locker scene from from earlier, uh, you know, from the earlier flick. Now, this is the next and this is all happening pretty quick. The waitress in the phone booth scene is is fucking one of my favorite horror scenes of all time. So the the waitress who she's she is the kind of potential love interest of sheriff herb they're like flirting and he's asking her out but she doesn't want to and it's like this little like kind of flirtatious thing she runs out goes into a phone booth and starts calling herb on the calling the police department on the phone oh my god you know this craziness is happening we don't know what's happening guy got sucked in the fucking drain and she's asking for herb to come to the phone and all of a sudden herbs like mangled body that is like like partially melted inside the blob as the blobs surrounding the phone booth kind of floats to the forefront right outside the glass and of course she screams and then like a second later the whole phone booth just bursts and the blob just i mean you can tell if you slow it down that it's a dummy in the in the phone booth but it happens with such like violence and it's so fast that it looks potentially like that's what could have happened to a human body you know when that like like that just pressure explodes the phone booth yeah it's like a damn burst yeah yeah she just slammed against all sides oh it's so good and just like to jump back for a second about the way her character is established she's also kind of given like a motherly connection to kevin dylan yes Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't have any, he stumbles in kind of thing. They're closed. She's like, I'll make you a sandwich. Don't worry, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, so you kind of have this expectation by the end of the film, you know, even they, after they subverted your expectations once of killing Paul, mm-hmm. you kind of have this new expectation of maybe the sheriff and Brian and uh, the the diner owner and uh meg are mm-hmm. gonna be like kind of the four that stand against the blob yep. and like you know you'll find but yeah no they they kill both of those characters and like killing the sheriff right away like removes any sense of control in the city as well and it's unceremonious the way mm-hmm. that he that herb is just all of a sudden oh fuck he's dead you know what yeah. i mean he's been dead <laughs> he's been dead you guys thought he was coming to save the day no motherfucker been dead mm-hmm. so that's the that that's this movie and it proves even a couple times later in the movie that like anyone is up for grabs mm-hmm. um which which again it ups the stakes which which i really like um like in the first movie there was never a thought there was never anyone doubt in anyone's mind that the two main protagonists were not going to survive. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like right. even when it seemed like all was lost, you were like, no, it's going to get taken care of this movie. You're like, no, fuck. Anyone could, could eat shit and get blobbed. Anyone can get blobbed out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you get the freezer scene, so they get that, you know, the, which fans of the original will immediately identify. Um, oh, I should mention, Tony Gardner, which I was watching this, and um, Kate was like, who did the special effects on this? This is really good. And I was like, I don't know. I actually, as many times I watched this movie, I was watching on on DVD um, last night, I didn't know who did the special effects. Uh, lots of great practical effects. Um 
and it was Tony Gardner. And I was like, I don't even recognize that name. And then I started looking into it and he has an insanely good resume, but it's not very horror centric. It's very eclectic. He did hmm. do zombie land. Okay. Um, he did 127 hours with, uh, creepy ass fucking james franco um but then he did a bunch of other stuff that actually did have like good oh he did adam the adams family movie he did seed of chucky but then he did stuff like hairspray hmm. he did hmm. the, the jackass bad grandpa movie he, he made the makeup that made you know johnny knoxville look old shallow yeah. how there's something about mary and then he also helped create the helmets for daft punk oh wow that's that, neat. It's it's funny. Like that's kind of like uh, I, I didn't bring it up when we were talking about Crimes of the Future, but like mm-hmm. the the music in that film is really good. Yeah, and it's it stuck out to me. And like the the composer is Howard Shore, mm-hmm. and he has a similar thing, but for music because he's yeah. done most of Cronenberg movies, but he's also done Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. He was like the original band leader for Saturday Night Live. <laughs> did yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire? So like, yeah. <laughs> eclectic yeah not yeah. super or like i feel like a lot of the movies we talk about are like so in the horror genre mm-hmm. and like in that world but yeah the, i was really surprised to see all this crate and then i wrote about read about the daft punk thing i'm like holy fuck it's bizarre <laughs> yeah. um but anyway so then the government shows up and again you know the guy in charge so this was interesting because the guy in charge came across as very forthright like they actually did a good job of casting someone that was like this he's like this older guy with like a white beard you're like oh you can trust this guy he's the scientist Mm -hmm. that's gonna have to fight the military industrial complex but no he's a fucking bastard um right from the you know right from the beginning really like within a few minutes you're like oh no this guy's a bastard um I forgot to write this down and I meant to look into it a little bit more, but I love the fucking fake movie within the movie that they're going to see, which is, which is called like, uh, um, it's like garden tool massacre or something, you know, kind of fake made up thing. Um, and the, I meant to look it up, but the guy who was like playing, you know, the fake clip of the (laughs) assumed protagonist in garden tool massacre or whatever was a person that I recognized his face and I meant to look it up and I forgot. Um, but there's a really great scene where there's like two, you know, like a couple and they're like making out or whatever. And, you know, on like a bench in the park and there's just like a guy up there with like a, like a hedge trimmer and, <laughs> and a hockey mask on. And he's like, wait a minute, hockey scene season ended months ago. <laughs> and then that's like, then he gets killed. It was, yeah, it was a good, good tongue in cheek kind nice. of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get the movie theater theme scene, but a more dramatic version of that where in the original movie, like one of the most iconic things, which actually, um, oddly enough, uh, uh, Phoenixville, which is where like the original Sly Fox brewery. Is, so right, right. Um, over in Eastern Pennsylvania, um, the Colonial Theater on Main Street in Phoenixville is the theater they shot the original Blob at, and mm. that's the theater in the movie. And they do a thing every year, which it's actually, I believe, next not next week, but the week after, annually they do a thing called Blob Fest, that's which awesome. is a big downtown <laughs> Phoenixville thing. Which I'm I'm going to be out of town, so I won't be able to attend. But uh, I was kind of bummed because I'm excited for Blob Fest. So next year I'll be at Blob <laughs> Fest. But um, they do that; they mimic that 
that scene. Um, but again, a, 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 a turned up more graphic version of it where the blobs just going fucking nuts in the in the in the theater and just fucking people up. And so, uh, yeah, a couple of the other great character actors that show up in this thing. Uh, Robert Robert Axelrod, Bill Mosley is in it. I wouldn't even call Bill Mosley necessarily a character actor like he's he's, you know, obviously chop top and um, in uh uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and he's in like every Rob Zombie film ever and <laughs> he's fantastic um, Frank Collison you'd know him immediately like there's just a so many good character actors in this thing um, so the when, when they realize that the, the government folks are just basically like they reveal that it is not a just comet that happened to have some alien life form on it. It was actually some sort of uh, U.S. Um, led experimental satellite type of thing that ultimately was infected or inoculated in some way with a bioweapon. It's like a virus of sorts, like some sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, intelligent you know, self-aware virus that manifests itself as this giant, you know, pink goo. Um, and it's a very valuable potential um, biological weapon for the U.S. military. So they're basically like, we need to capture this and fuck this town. And whoever dies, dies. We don't care as long as we can, you know, salvage this bioweapon. Um, so again, a little darker, definitely more subversive, definitely taking the don't trust authority thing to like the umpteenth degree. But one of my favorite scenes here, the, the government folks in the hazmat suits have taken uh, Brian and Meg uh, away in this truck, which I'm just noticing now that I can't believe I didn't notice that they are named Brian and Meg. <laughs> so we should probably do a shot for shot remake of this. Um, and uh, and Steve, you're like your sheriff herb. Damn it, <laughs> you got to be sheriff herb. Sorry. Um, so uh, BFF uh, just doesn't give a fuck, and he's immediately like. Uh, uh, Meg, who's who's uh, Shawnee Smith, is like, you know, th they're here to help us. Like, we're not. And this is before. I guess this is before. Like, everything is revealed to them that the government is doesn't fucking care about them because they're in the back of this like truck and they're supposed to be taking them to safety. And BFF's like, fuck this noise, I'm getting out of here, and just starts like picking the lock. <laughs> and he's like, this doesn't smell right. Like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Then he jumps out of a moving truck like he does it fucking daily i loved yeah. it he's just like you if no you ain't deal. coming you're stupid and she's like no i ain't coming and he's like all right bye peace and he fucking bye. jumps out of a moving truck um and they don't even notice he's gone but um the town's like being evacuated at this point oh that the one redneck getting like unexpectedly sucked up to the ceiling that's another fucking great very stuff the stuff like scene mm -hmm. um but it hits a lot of those same like iconic cues, uh, but just makes it more, you know, dramatic with these awesome special effects. So um, it still has this kind of charmingly retro feel to it. Like they do like some green screen stuff. They do some. Was it was it even green screen? Like it's obviously like some sort of compositing. But yeah. like it, 
it, there's like this harsh black edge that's like around the blob and the miniatures. Yeah. And then you see people like running in front of it or like running away from it. And it's just, well, I don't they, even know if it would be green screen at that time, though. Well, I think I'm they're wondering. trying to mimic. I don't know if it's green screen, but they definitely have um, some stop motion, too. Mm-hmm. And I think it is. Th- so some of the most iconic scenes in the first movie and what makes it kind of like charmingly campy is some of the scenes with the blob in the first movie that just makes it bigger are just these kind of like forced perspective type shots. Right. You know, because remember, it's just like imagine like them or something like that, you know, from that era. It's shot in a very similar way, except for instead of a giant insect or something like that. Uh, or Night of the Lepus or something. Instead of it being like a, a giant rabbit or a giant insect, <laughs> it's just a giant blob of creeping weird candy goo. Um, right. <laughs> and then some of the most iconic like still images are just literally paintings in the first yeah. movie. Yeah. Whereas I so I think they were trying to like pay homage to that and make it feel like that mid-century sci-fi thing. But they obviously did a little bit better job. But like it's hokey and just like the most charming ways um which is kind of weird because it's 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 unique in that sense because there's not the practical effects when they want to be are awesome but then they it's almost feels intentional that they pop in these kind of like slightly not even outdated but like older approaches to doing things you know yeah Yeah, it definitely feels very intentional just because like like even when it's like traveling down the street Mm -hmm. And like it's picking up the the soldiers in the white suits off the street. Mm-hmm. Like the those soldiers are like a smaller scale than the people that are running away from yes. it. it. Like the the scales are very obviously off. Mm-hmm. But like you you see it and you go, oh, I know what this is. It, yeah. you know, it's it's just an homage to the original. So yeah, yep, yeah. And then uh, eventually, you know, BFF gets away. He does his sweet fucking jump with his motorcycle. He he fucks up a guy with a with a with a socket with a ratchet who just smashes his fucking glass in his hazmat suit um and then the government has quads now so they're like chasing him through the woods he does his you know sick jump uh and escapes and then flips him the motherfucking bird as he's driving away on his motorcycle oh it's such a good scene i i have i have to wonder like because this movie is after et yeah. And there's so many like kind of parallels with them wearing the clean suits and everything. Yeah. Of like like just like what if ET but violent? Like what if <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I wouldn't have thought that much about about that. I mean, mm. obviously it's much faster paced, but like yeah, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a I could see that. The hazmat suits especially. Um, that was something you weren't necessarily seeing a ton of back then. Although I guess what you think about like spacesuits and you know even, yeah. you know, that, that that's kind of what spacesuits look like back in the 50s and 60s sci-fi yeah. sometimes. Yeah, even the even the army is introduced almost like a UFO because Meg and Brian are out in the woods mm-hmm. and you just hear like a whir and then lights mm-hmm. shining through the trees. Yeah. And that's like that's like a very, you know, E.T. or third kind kind of introduce introduction of aliens. Yeah. But then you get the sudden turn of like, oh, it's a fucking Apache helicopter. And here come like, you know, government agents with and shit with yeah. trucks and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So so this was another thing. So I'm leading it kind of up to this was where, um, you know, uh, uh, Meg and her brother and her brother's like little shitty friend um, 
get trapped down in the uh, uh, the sewer, and the blob is apparently down in the sewer. So they're trying to shut everything off so they can capture the blob. And also, this is where Bill Mosley is in it. Um, Bill Mosley is like one of the um, government agents, and they get basically they're like about to escape and they're like no fuck you stay down there you might be you know they're just like no you're gonna die down there because we can't risk you coming up so mm-hmm. it's like human lives are like very expendable whether it's theirs or or the just you know bystanders in the town but this is where the meg's uh, brother's friend who has to be what like 10 years old 12 years old yeah gets fucking melted like, yeah, this is just like they are not even mm-hmm. fucking around. They will melt a kid. Um, <laughs> and it's pretty brutal. Um, but yeah, they do. An- oh, go ahead. Oh, no. Like mine is such, such a stupid comment, but I just like couldn't help it because in this scene was like the weirdest time of when they're working with the blob. I was like. I can't stop seeing that it looks like a butthole in this like super. <laughs> oh, in that scene, it yeah, does. It looks like, like <laughs> yes, like a what do they call it? Like a flower, you know, that has the, like, like a prolapse. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's Jesus what I meant to Christ. say. A prolapse. Yeah, um, I was like, yeah. I don't know why I didn't know that. I was like, I just it did. It looked like, like a butthole. Definitely. It did look like an anus. Um, <laughs> and then uh, BFF just fucking shoots a bazooka straight up and blows them up, blows them up out of the fucking manhole, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And like a bazooka is the most like late 80s, early 90s thing you can use. Like a bazooka is like the weapon equivalent of um, of like quicksand. You know, they always say like, you know, mm-hmm. in movies when you were little or cartoons or whatever, people always came in contact with quicksand and you were yeah. like, you just thought quicksand was going to be a, like a bigger part of adult life when you got older. <laughs> right. But like bazookas I as feel like a kid. you're not the first person who said that and I fucking feel that so much. We were no, so no. scared of it, but I've never seen it. Uh, never seen it. Never seen it. I remember being in the woods with like friends and there's like a big oh. muddy pit. And we're like, don't go in there. It's quicksand. You're going to die. <laughs> um, meanwhile, we're in Western Pennsylvania. But anyway, um, yeah, bazooka. Same thing. You were just like, oh, that's the Trump card for anything. Like, oh, you got a gun. I have a bazooka. Like yep. that was the baddest ass thing you could possibly do. But then you just thought bazookas were everything. And it turns out like no one uses bazookas. It's kind of disappointing. <laughs> um, so you have this Mexican standoff scene. Um, you know, the blob ends up fucking up the, the the main kind of government doctor, sucks him down. And this is another example. And they continuously do this is every time the blob like blobs somebody it's super it demonstrates how super strong it is like in this instance he gets sucked down in the manhole and he's holding like an like an m16 like assault rifle and he tries to like brace himself by like using it across the manhole and it just snaps the gun in half mm-hmm. and pulls his ass down then the asshole government people just like shoot and throw dynamite in the hole which is like doesn't work at all obviously and the now he just fu- now he just has dynamite powers yeah now he yeah. just, blows now he just up. explodes up through <laughs> he's the fucking just farting street right out after. dynamite around yeah. everyone um that's where you get some sweet stop motion and stuff and uh you know they realize your know, fire doesn't work um but you do get a great burn scene at this point um like a long burn scene um but uh, this is when Meg finally kind of puts two and two together, sprays it with a fire extinguisher, like you know, in the first movie is that's ultimately how they how they kind of subdue it. Um, 
But BFF goes and steals a snow machine truck, which is some foreshadowing from before because he works at a mechanic shop and, you know, they had to like get him ready for the winter or whatever. Um, and he just starts spraying him with snow. But then he like tries to ram him, which I'm not sure what the plan was there. But he ends up getting trapped in the truck and then Meg starts blasting it with an M16, basically lures the blob, you know, to the snow machine, which you're assuming it's a big like tank of liquid nitrogen. Um, and uh, and then, you know, she explodes it. There's like a quick moment where like she's trapped and then he has to come <laughs> save her. Now, uh, this now this plays into your original uh, statement about how she sounds stupid when she talks. Yeah. Because this is incredibly stupid when it, she tries to jump off the back of this and her foot gets caught and she just slams into the side. Oh, so hard, too. Like, she gets <laughs> smacks into the fucking side that, of it. That would have knocked the wind out of her and she should have just been hanging there going, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> yeah. She just, like, yeah. I mean, swings and just fucking, yeah, breaks her ribs, a heart, heart, you know, smacking against the side of this thing. But ultimately, he comes and saves her and, uh, yeah, blows it up. And and then it's, like, snowing in this. So you get this, like, weird, like, Edward Scissorhands-y kind of scene where, like, the it's snowing because the like, nitrogen thing exploded and, you know, it was a snow machine. I don't know if that's how it works. But I do really like the image of the blob frozen because now it's, like, kind of crystallized, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of cool. It looks like uh, it looks like the aggro crag is kind of, like, melted in the middle of the fucking <laughs> of the street. Another um, idea for your birthday, dude, because um, I'm assuming you'll have a party. Wait, you're going to give me a glowing piece of the radical rock? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, no, make, like, rock candy, but make it look like the blob frozen. Oh, like, that's a good like idea. That. I do like that. <laughs> I like candy. <laughs> <laughs> I like candy. I like candy. Give me candy. Um, so we didn't talk about this, and I, I don't know that I, I don't love or hate this ending, but I do feel it was unnecessary. Um, I do like the sub, the subversive side of it, and I don't even think I re- mentioned it early because he's a fairly forgettable character. But it's like the town reverend, yeah. and it feels like he's just part of like the shenanigans around town where he like catches you know the local teens buying rubbers and he's just like kind of this weird asshole and he does like start getting more involved later in the movie where he's suggesting that this is like this is some revelation shit and it's the prophecy has been foretold in the bible and this is jesus and the world's ending because of jesus or whatever um but um after they freezes at the 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 you know and presumably kill the blob you cut to this like tent revival type of sweaty ass church shit that's going on under a tent and the reverend is there and he's been disfigured cuz you saw his ass get burned up a little earlier in the movie and you assumed he was dead but he has survived and he's just like disfigured now and he's talking about the prophecy and blah, blah, blah and all this shit. And basically he's got some of the blob in a jar and he's just kind of waiting to release it. And there's a conversation between him and like one of his like people in his church. And they're talking about like, when, when is the end going to come? And he's like soon I'm waiting for a sign or whatever. Um, But anyway, lesson don't trust the government 
or cops or the church or your parents or your parents and just fucking do sweet motorcycle jumps um, that's the whole you know, thing. I, think, I think though i mean as much as i do agree i'm like it kind of felt like it came out of nowhere but i didn't know at that moment i'm like if there was like a sequel because i basically feel like maybe at that time they were considering like oh we should do another one and here is now our opportunity yeah mm-hmm. maybe yeah you're probably right but i i do think also it was like twofold in that maybe they were leaving it open for a sequel but also um because there is a sequel to the original movie which is right. called like beware the blob uh, son of the blob son of the blob yeah isn't there a beware the blob too or something it I, might, yeah, I think it might be both that yeah. they're both the same yeah. probably the same movie yeah. yeah but anyway they uh they they do this thing at the end of uh of the blob where um you know they basically freeze it and then the government comes in like drops it in antarctica and it finishes with like them like it parachuting down to the ground in antarctica or wherever it's supposed to be and they have this little like question mark you know come up on screen like is it over or is it going to escape so i think they wanted to leave it open-ended because obviously this is like a you know a, a has a lot of homage to the first film um but yeah it they didn't have to get that deep and shoot an entire different fucking set and everything you know yeah. there's a completely different entirely different set piece even though it's only a tent but um yeah. if, yeah. if the reverend was more consequential throughout the film yeah but like you're saying he's just kind of shows up in you know the different shenanigans and shenanigans <laughs> yeah and he's like a Drink part of the so town you. but he's mm, not mm, yeah mm. more so you. <laughs> yeah Mas. no he he does he he seems fairly inconsequential mm-hmm. well they do do a good job of like in the heat of the battle thing he's like no this is god's will and all this type of shit but it is pretty you know it's pretty pretty minimal right yeah, that, like that wasn't the focus. The focus was on like the government's the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and and that's very of the time because like you're you're at the tail end of the Reagan administration, and like there a lot of people are at that point are you know sick of Ronnie. So old Ronnie, mm. old Ronnie. Um, all right, that's it. That's the Blob, nineteen eighty eight. I feel like even I feel like this go. I feel like we're a two for two as far as just like fun good movies in general. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's yeah. gonna yep. be a tough one. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I actually watched this movie like last year when I think I was preparing to possibly pick it for one of our other showdowns, maybe. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, yeah, I watched it last year and then watch it again now. My my only hang up with this film is the music is fucking ass. <laughs> it's certainly forgettable because I yeah. yeah. It's forgettable, but at other times I found it just like really intrusive because it's just so bad. What kind hmm. of budget and did then, they have? Because I feel like even with you saying that, that does make sense because there probably was would have been a lot of opportunity to work with bands at that point, even cheaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. I think it was a, a moderate. If I when I looked it up, I think they shot it um, like there was like a. What did I see? They they were where the hell were uh, they had a, a it was IMDb a pretty says twenty yeah 20 it was million. a pretty good sized production yeah um, but I think they spent a lot of money on you know on the on the um, uh, on the practical effects and the set pieces and and just making it seem like kind of big and grand but I do remember looking it up and being like oh yeah that's like I I don't feel like they spent a lot of money on the actors although. I, I think the star power at this time would have been um, Shawnee Smith. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. yeah, it was it was definitely. I, I think the budget was mostly on the screen. You know. Yeah, they really did miss out though by like the, whatever that credit song is sucks. They really missed out by not having like Anthrax or Dawkin mm-hmm. just redo Beware of the Blob. <laughs> yeah, they didn't do. It wasn't as like for how kind of a, like intense the movie is and like mm-hmm. how like kind of brutal parts of it are it definitely didn't go down that like hard edge rock and roll type of end of the whole 80s horror spectrum yeah sure. yeah oh well you <laughs> can't can't hit them all i guess <laughs> missed opportunity missed opportunity but uh yeah. listen kevin like- kevin dylan fucking delivers that's all i'm saying i, I was like the <laughs> only other comment i'll say that it's like is a positive i think for it and maybe not uh, is that I feel like the acting surprisingly for the time was pretty good too. Yeah, I mean overall, I think it was it was pretty good. Like I said, I I have my issues with right. with uh, Shawnee Smith's performance, mm-hmm. but um, it's not bad or anything. But yeah, I think uh, I just feel like oftentimes during this period, it's like just a lot of forced overacting or just like you know trying to be mm-hmm. very theatrical with it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't feel I didn't really feel that way when I was watching it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it's more natural, but and it's pretty subdued, but also like, yeah, I don't feel like anybody gives a standout breakout performance. Sure. Mm-hmm. I can agree with that too. It, like it's it's better than like what you get from the fifties and sixties where everything's very kind of like stilted and like up and down stoic, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into when we talk Cape Fear. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Oh, that's who that's what else I almost oh. forgot that uh that the guy who plays Sheriff Herb, uh Jeffrey DeMunt, uh was uh, was in The Walking Dead too. He was in the first mm. one or two seasons of The Walking Dead, okay. which is probably what a lot of people would would know him from. Um, but yeah, uh, also uh, interesting little tidbit that I just learned here: the gentleman who plays the uh, 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 Reverend, I did not realize this. That's Del Close, mm. who who is responsible for basically modern improv. <laughs> Oh, you know, the guy who like basically, uh, you know, created the the school that was ultimately the precursor to like Second City and stuff. Oh, okay. and and was like the guy who was, you know, trained a lot of these like very famous um, improv folks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's Del Close. I did not realize. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Jinx. So that's it. That's that's the blob from 1988. Word. Blower. Yeah. Did. Uh. Did at any time, Brian, did you think about Rob Zombie and his possible remake? When Rob Zombie's going to remake The Blob? He was for a long time. Mm. No. Was, that I, that I don't was going to be his follow-up after Halloween, too. Really? No. I, I, I don't know why I missed that or I, or I scrubbed that out of my memory or something like that. I mean, I like the original movie, but I guess like I've always liked this one a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I, I probably hadn't seen like I didn't watch this when I was a kid. Right. I had all like I, I think just in recent I don't know if it was hard to find for a while, but I do not remember seeing it for like rental and stuff when I mm-hmm. was like a teenager, you know, um, so maybe it was maybe it just wasn't super available or whatever, because I honestly don't feel like I remember this movie being on my radar until like the last eight or 10 years. Yeah. See, I, I remember it vaguely from like childhood because that the scene where the blob like busts out of the street Mm -hmm. and it's just like a big giant tentacle almost yeah like i I very vividly remember that but Mm. like yeah otherwise 
Yeah, I, I I didn't really see it until more recently, but I I remember reading because I'd also watched the original a lot and the yeah. the, the Larry Hagman sequel. Mm-hmm. But I, I just remember reading about Rob Zombie and his plans for remaking it, and like he had this whole thing where like people were going to be consumed by the blob, but then almost turned into zombies. Hmm. Hmm. So like they would be like walking, they they would be connected to the blob, interesting, and covered in blob goo. But like, hmm. still like walking away from the main, like blob. Well, he's got to get that because <laughs> otherwise they got to they got to be able to like cuss and mm-hmm. be like redneck too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we can guarantee the music would be better at that one. At That's that probably true. Yeah. That's probably true. <laughs> Old Bobby Zombo, he does write them rock and roll songs. <laughs> He does not like that when you call him. That. <laughs> he doesn't like Bobby Zombo. <laughs> he sent me. A, he sent me a DM. Yeah. <laughs> no more Bobby Zombo. <laughs> All right. Word. Let's 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 freaking do it, Meg. What do you got? Yo, guys. I got. You know, we're ending on another high note. Again, mm-hmm. with me talking about religious things, apparently. Mm-hmm. yeah what is what's up with that um, this is like I think the I'm third just learning movie about, no, i'm just learning about the bible through this show at this okay. point <laughs> this, and, this, and religion is the most uh, terrifying thing in my world so apparently it's just subconscious at that point well and also in everyone's world right now but also i think that um i think this there should be a spinoff to this podcast just called meg's bible adventures <laughs> And we just talk about how it's like pervasive in all of yeah. society, and yeah. yeah. And so that's the other part too that I think I will come around to on like when I talk about this movie is that the more I even dug into it because that's like very blatant and clear about like all mm-hmm. like the religious connotations yeah. going on. But I feel like Martin Scorsese does take a little bit more of a turn towards like Nietzsche's work and stuff. Yeah, he, that. It, I think it's because yes, it's very neat, like. The whole idea of like the Ubermensch and all that stuff is like super baked into the character of uh, what the fuck's his Katie? name? Max Katie. Max Katie. Um, but I wonder whether it was because Sc- Scorsese is super religious, isn't he? He looks uh, like he would be, but I don't know. I don't know. Was, I, th- I thought he's he probably was. raised Italian Catholic, right. but I, I don't necessarily think that he's super religious. Oh, OK. I had it in my head. He was super religious. Maybe not. Maybe in 91 he was. But I feel like he added the whole like Nietzsche element in there just to take some heat off mm. <laughs> religion. See, I don't know. See, I and I guess we'll, we can talk a little bit later, but I, I took it as like he just was trying to build up Max Cady as like because the, the very first scene that you're introduced with Max Cady is he has all these books and he has this like vision board, essentially, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. everybody he idolizes. And he was just trying to give Katie like depth as to what he identified with. Yeah. But I, I always <laughs> saw Katie in this film, at least, as like. He's still a fucking dullard. He, he didn't is. actually learn any of no. The he's stuff Joe he Rogan. He I, he mm-hmm. honestly he's a pseudo intellectual. Mm-hmm. But that's um, why I think like bringing like the Nietzsche element into it is that we're talking more about the fear and how primal it is. Like mm-hmm, and like that's mm-hmm. really what they're getting at with. And I think what aids in making Max Katie's character in this remake so much more terrifying but we're getting a little bit ahead and we can dive all into this yes, guys yes, i'm sorry sorry <laughs> this is yeah. so, there's so much good stuff i feel like 
Sorry. So much good stuff in this movie. But mm. um, No, this is a fucking great movie, such too. A good movie. I love yeah. this movie. Uh, so, Cape Fear is a 1991 American psychological horror film directed by Martin Scorsese as a remake of the 1962 film of the same name, which was based on the John D. McDonald's 1957 novel, The Executioners. So, mm. um, I've never read it. I haven't but either. I heard even the original is pretty loose in its basis mm. for that. Like the original movie, okay. I mean, is loosely based on the book. Okay. But I don't know. I, I never read the book. I, 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 I didn't know if either of you guys had read the book. but No, I hadn't either. I was just, I was wondering because like there, there is a lot of differences in the way both movies play out. And I was just wondering if they both kind of pick and chose like their favorite bits of the book. Hmm. I think probably that's kind of what I took okay. uh, because I do remember... Because I, I really love the original movie, too, um, and just like Robert Mitchum in general. But mm -hmm. I remember them saying that, like, it actually doesn't have a ton to do with the book, the original. But I don't know if if the remake does. Gotcha. Yeah. And I feel I don't know if you guys feel this way, too, though, is that I mean, as much as there's definitely some differences between the two is that I almost felt like the remake just had a lot more depth to the characters and I think like expanded mm -hmm. upon it a does. lot of things Way a lot yeah. more. Absolutely. Um, so it made it, I think, a more scary, more intriguing to watch and it made you just like get creeped out a lot too. Um, yeah. But yeah, so obviously we kind of mentioned this earlier. It stars Robert De Niro, Nick Nolte, Jessica Lange, uh, Joe Don Barker and Juliette Lewis, but also with cameos of Robert Mitchum, Gregory Peck, and Martin Balsam, which uh, like starred in the original movie too, which I think mm -hmm. was cool. And I don't know if I think that's like a good standout for this one. If we are making points to watch, one's the best. Steve Mc Steve McQueen was. You could hear if you like turned your audio way way up you could hear steve mcqueen fart in my movie uh, he was the blob fart it was he actually was the blob he sound. was actually yeah. the um what they based the butthole scene uh, off of that was based on steve mcqueen's prolapsed anus uh, so the synopsis of that's an album name steve mcqueen's prolapsed anus oh god that's a great album name Sounds like a Cannibal Corpse album. <laughs> no, that is such a punk album. Oh that yeah, that's such, that. Yeah. yeah, that's like a Dead Kennedys fucking album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's not political enough. No, it's it's a fucking it's a Butthole Surfers album or something like that. Right. Yeah. All of their new albums are just named after buttholes. Different yeah. people. Um, I meant I meant Dead Milkmen, not Butthole Surfers. I think that was right. a, okay. that was a Freudian I slip. Yeah. A little bit too like uppity. I feel like for that baby. Yeah. I don't know. Anywho getting off topic again <laughs> uh, the film tells the story of a convicted statutory rapist robert de niro aka mm -hmm. max katie who mostly by using his like newfound knowledge of the law and its numerous loopholes seeks vengeance against the former public defender who is sam Bowd bowden jesus fucking mm -hmm. christ megan um mm -hmm. <laughs> who he blames that he has 14 year imprisonment on because of the purposefully faulty defense tactics used during the trial, which I want to die when we talk about like Nietzsche and stuff like that. That's where I want to bring a lot of that into it is like that whole mm -hmm. aspect of it. And this is where I'll also say is I don't know if I would really say Robert De Niro has really put him as like a dullard in this film because I feel like May and maybe it is still just like this primal thing, but he still knows how to work things. He knows what he to does. do and when He's not to do capable. something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it does, 
maybe but again it's still like learned tactics yeah i I would just say like all of his capabilities are just still like criminal things and criminal like street smart stuff not like actual book learning where like mitchum's katie like very obvious is very devious has learned a lot about the law and even before that he like made plots Mm -hmm. yeah at this point like he he's that's why i keep i i don't know and this isn't I, i don't know why this might not be fair at all but Every time I saw Robert De Niro's character in this, I just could not stop thinking about Joe Rogan. I don't know why. It's because Joe Rogan, he reminds me of him in that he's like the pseudo intellectual. Like Mm -hmm. he was forced because of his circumstances to just basically have all this time to himself. And he sat there and he learned about these things to the best of his ability. And he put a lot of earnest thought into it. But he still is like a low IQ shithead so right. he can only take it so far he, he read the books but yeah. like without any kind of guidance or background to mm-hmm. the books yeah you know without like formal educators around him yeah you're not actually going to apprehend what you're supposed to mm-hmm. right he takes out of it the things that are convenient to him mm-hmm. right that's all filtered the through gaps. that lens that he already knows as we say criminal primal etc right it, he he allows things to fill in the gaps of his cognitive dissonance but he's not self-aware enough to understand that that's what's happening i think he's just also trying to look for like justification for the vengeance that he feels that he's like yeah. he feels deserving of and i think even yeah. all the things that he learned a lot like somehow when they were filtered through came out as I can serve justice to Sam Bowden, which basically this is a film about justice and vengeance all in the same time. But it's Mm -hmm. also like, I mean, so it's this idea of like, it's the same reason why Nietzsche and, and Ayn Rand Mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff appeals so much to libertarians and, and Joe Rogan <laughs> because and Joe Rogan like people is like I have the emotional f- or I have the um, mental fortitude willpower whatever it's like that the people who are the most successful you know entrepreneurs for example are the ones who are naive enough to start a business that's extraordinarily risky and cutthroat and sociopathic enough to be really successful in it. So if there's a hundred people that do that, 99 of them fail miserably and fall on their face. One of them that's successful thinks they're Jesus Christ now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like for every Joe Rogan who's made uh, who's who's made it, there's a thousand or a million shitbirds who burned who crashed and burned you know so he's like that same kind of mentality but he also is a unique combination meaning katie he's a unique combination of other circumstances that makes him almost like a supervillain in that way yeah and he also has like just to jump back to like what you're talking about mega as far as like the way his idea of vengeance and justice is being filtered it's being filtered through the through his own mind, but the reality is, is he's he is a criminal. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he did the things that he did. Right. He's a hundred percent guilty. Right. Yeah. yeah. The reasons why he went to jail were things that like don't matter and shouldn't be a part of his defense. Mm-hmm. 
because he literally did what he did. Right. Yeah. He, Which is he, why he went he, to jail he, for 14 years. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> and that's and the thing is, too, is like it's the it's the mental he the thing that makes him seem even more like a dullard to me. And I, this is extremely biased. I get it. But this idea that he's filling in all these gaps in the, you know, the whole, uh, you know, what do they call it? Like power of will or will to power mm-hmm. thing. Nietzsche, Nietzsche's, you know, will to power thing. He fills that in where he can't understand, where he doesn't have enough connection to fill the gap needed for his cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. He just inserts God and country. Right. right. Which is, again, the most white trash, sociopathic, fascist bullshit thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You totally. Know? Yeah. So uh, throughout this whole film, I find... A lot of the dynamics between it very uh, impactful because it's like a lot of cat and mouse, like, but also reality, like a hunter prey thing is kind of like how mm-hmm. I saw it. Um, because Katie's at the helm with a very clear God complex that we see throughout the whole thing. And like, I even saw someone note saying avenging angel. And I was like, that's interesting too. Mm. Um, but throughout it, he's like playing with uh, Bowden's, I'll just call Sam Bowden, like throughout it. Um, yeah. Because like and so what that does then to Bowden is puts this like he um, Katie thinks that basically it is his job to test Bowden. And this is how he's like, if he can survive like this test, then which he knows he's not, he's going to try to kill him. He's going to try to seek his own vengeance. But in his mind, he's thinking that he's putting him through the tests through this like God complex in a lot of ways. Yeah. And- well, and he's also like Bowden is his scapegoat because he right. like he's the Nietzsche guy. So this whole I guess we should like really quickly and this is going to be a very um, flawed misrepresentation of and I'm not a expert in Nietzsche or anything like that at all. But um, he the, the idea of like the Ubermensch or like the Superman mm-hmm. is this whole thing of like Essentially, the way that sociopath shitbirds take that and manipulate it into being very self-serving for them is this idea of like the exploitation of the world around you is basically your birthright as a living being. Mm -hmm. So morality, if you can step above and impose your will on the world it's your it is your right to do that and only the most special of little snowflakes can do that (laughs) and morality becomes irrelevant and it's just this like do what you will thing but it's a way for sociopaths to justify that feeling that they have that they're superior to everyone else Mm -hmm. because they lack empathy and all the things that sociopathic people struggle with and it's a way to justify their feelings and make it into a superpower yeah because basically Nietzsche okayed it for himself mm-hmm. and like Nietzsche would probably disagree with a lot of the people that, you know, take that on. Yeah. But in the end, you know, if you elevate yourself, you know, Nietzsche gave them the green light in the basis. Yeah. And it's very vague, which makes it easy. Mm-hmm. You know, something this vague is why it's so influential for a low IQ shitbirds. It's because it's easy for them to bend it to their own ends. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it just like, e- it makes it an easy patch to put on their, you know, their cognitive dissonance. Like last podcast on the left just did a series on Leopold and Loeb. Mm. 
don't know if you guys heard, but Leopold and Loeb, like one of the most famous uh, uh, murder trials of the of the um, 20th century. And it was basically these two super kids from these super wealthy families who basically, you know, and there's speculation on like who was kind of the leader and who was the follower. But these two assholes, like you guys have seen, uh, we just talked about this rope, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's rope. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. based on Leopold and Loeb. Okay. It's this idea of like these two spoiled rich fucks who decide that they can do whatever they want to the to, to for whatever reason and they decide they they want to assert their dominance on society by performing the perfect murder but they're no matter how like smart they both are because they both are like you know unquestionably intelligent kids they're still like emotionally crippled because of their background and their upbringing and their shitty mm-hmm. weird inbred family and all this stuff so they're like caught immediately <laughs> you <Right>. know <laughs> but sorry <laughs> i went on a hell of a tangent there meg but yeah i was just kind of expl- <laughs> no, got on good. a tangent with I'm the whole like that, yeah. uh, uber mensch thing <laughs> where to jump back in at this point now to mention we're talking about like a lot of the cat and mouse and to give a little bit of a premise to like some of the things that go on throughout it um Katie basically shows up to the town. He finds out where Bowden is living with his family. And in his mind, he's starting, he's like, he starts stalking him and he tries to follow where he's going and what he's doing and just shows up there. And then eventually, um, and this starts out where he, uh, he's in the movie theater and he's like cackling, which is like such a creepy scene for oh, like, man. Just it really start. is. <laughs> yeah. It gives you like, he just gives no fucks and he's showing how he's like, I'm right here, right in front of you. He's such a loose cannon. You know, like that scene, just like he's laughing. He's having fun, assumedly. But he's, I mean, it's Robert De Niro. So he's like one of the fucking greatest actors of all time. Yeah. But he's just doing such, and I don't even know, maybe you guys were able to pinpoint it better, but I don't even know what he's doing that makes it so creepy. But there's just like this underlying aggression Mm -hmm. in his smile and his laugh. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's mostly because like there's nobody else around him. Yeah, he's like, by himself. And no one's yeah, like, like, no one else he, is laughing or getting. You don't even see anyone else in the theater even getting humored by this stuff. Yeah, like, so. he, he walks he walks into the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. and like Problem Child isn't that funny. So <laughs> like, and then is that like, what they're watching? Yeah, they're watching Problem Child. And like, <laughs> That's funny. He he walks into the middle of that movie. He sits down and like immediately lights up that stogie. So like everything is so aggressive with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And like the scenes, like you could, even the scenes that he's laughing at, they're not really funny scenes. Like nothing's really happening. Mm-hmm. It's about like John. It's like the end of the film, really, where John Ritter discovers like the the problem child he adopted is like actually cares about him. That's not funny. So okay. he, so his scream cap cackling over everybody makes no sense it's so out of place yeah yeah (laughs) right right and then they he follows them to uh the restaurant after the movie and find out that he had already paid for the family's meal so like this is when i think Bowden's starting to get a hint like some like what the fuck this guy is clearly like following us he's like looking at what we're doing and um then he eventually after a trial finds Bowden in his car and, and approaches him and just like, Hey, it's me. I'm back. Do you remember me type thing? So he's just taunting <laughs> yeah. him a little he bit. He takes too. his keys. Right. And that was, was, that was this completely bitten off from like the original as well, which mm-hmm. I thought was yeah. good. The, uh, the interesting thing about this one, the thing I like 
makes it more complex. And Meg, you maybe has already said this, but you said how like they added more to the characters, mm-hmm. which they did. Uh, obviously, Max Katie, but even because in the first movie, the thing I didn't like about the first movie, and I love the first movie, but the one complaint was like Gregory Peck was like too much of like a Boy Scout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He just never did anything wrong. It was just good versus evil. Right. Yeah. I mean, and in, and in, in, in like you know on the the tattoos and stuff. Like it's a little surface level. Whereas yeah. this one's like no. Sam, what is it? Sam. Sam Bowden. Yeah. Bowden. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of. He's like a flawed character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're both Sam Bowden, but Nick Nolte. Oh Nick yeah, Nolte, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Nick Nolte, Sam Bowden. I, yeah, yeah. Nick Nolte, Sam Bowden is a flawed character, and and I have a note written down about how like. Like, so, yeah, we've gone through, like, how Max Katie is a character unto himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's this symbolism of, like, Katie's sentence being 14 years. And you can just see the degradation of Nick Nolte's life and, and like, the, the, the way 14 years has taken its toll. Because mm-hmm. you think of Katie kills his dog. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah. really, if you think 14 years, that dog has lived, you know, that 14-year lifespan. Uh, like his daughter is coming of age Mm -hmm. and like, you know, 14 years have passed by. She's now no longer a little kid. She's like an adult, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the toll that 14 years takes on a marriage and the way they look at each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like there, yeah, there's a symbolism to that, but it's, you see all of this way on Nick Nolte where you don't see it way on Gregory Peck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I, I to talk about even just like the depth of the characters and even the interaction between the two and comparing from the 62 version of this is like even the family dynamic is like kind of like plant what you're saying is that i think we almost to a certain extent i think like don't want to like Sam Bowden at a certain point. And Max Katie is almost played out to be this like anti-hero, even though it's like, he's mm-hmm. like trying to give you that impression. But I right. think part of that is created because we see Sam Bowden, like he bends the law at times, like he's, but he also believes in the law. And then we see that his relationship with his wife is very filled with a lot of infidelity. And this is something mm-hmm. that's not great. And then we also see his relationship with his daughter where He's trying to be really controlling, but he kind of doesn't really have a super close relationship from what it seems like. Whereas right, yeah. the f- original definitely plays it off to be this very like almost 1950s leave it to beaver. Just like, oh, yes, mm-hmm. we're all here together. And mm-hmm. oh, daughter's going to run up to me after I get out of the car and walk me inside, you know. Um, and I thought that was a great improvement because I think it made us care about uh, the family dynamic and show how much that even with all of that strife going on, that all of this pressure for Sam Bowden to still be like, I need to save my family and I need to figure out how do I get shaken out of what I'm used to doing and say that I fucked up. I need to fix this and this is my problem and I need to like help my family, I guess mm-hmm. I think also was a great depth addition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, uh, they also don't make Max Katie. I mean, he is entirely hateable. Yes, like he's a despicable person, but they create scenes where you feel for him a little bit. Right. Um, like when he's getting the shit beat out of him by the guys mm-hmm. that like Max, K- I mean, not Max, Sam Bowden, who is like, you know, this like white knight, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, protector of the people and all this stuff. He goes through these like back channel you know, shady shit mm-hmm. to basically hire thugs to beat the fucking Max Katie. Right. Yeah. Which, 
um, you know, is obviously illegal and, you know, shameful. But also, even during that scene, you you don't root for Max, but you're like they make it a point for to try to create some sympathy you're, for him. Right. You're you're impressed by him. Yeah, Maybe yeah, that's, that's yeah, better that's really because of his like which you learn, you kind of learn but not really his pain thing cuz yeah. he like doesn't have a regular right. person's pain tolerance. I might right. have written down the quote cuz I thought it was pretty exciting cuz like and that was like towards the end and maybe I'll bring it up then like when he has the flare in his hand and he lets like the oh, wax yeah, like yeah. burn him and he's just mm-hmm. like I was born for this type type like response but he says it's because of a religious thing or something i can't remember well you said something about his grandfather and his grandmother and it's just like one person had this and then he's like and that's why like he almost said he's like i was like born to be like yeah yeah i thought it had to do with like uh the wasn't it snake handling and like oh yes because and and then even at the end not to jump ahead but like with the talking in tongues he was clearly raised in some like fanatical cult christianity Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah i I thought it was something to do with like the snake handling and just getting bit by snakes like somehow dulled his pain sensors i wonder if that was him trying to justify the fact that he is actually just like you know of like he just has whacked out poo brains. He's just yeah, he's just psychotic. <laughs> I also yeah. almost feel like it plays him out to be in going back to the God complex is that he was it's putting him in that light again where mm-hmm. he is like willing and he can sacrifice himself for any you know, at any given point. Mm. You know. I don't know. Yeah, right. and I yeah, that actually probably has more to do with it the 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 the, the he thinks he's a angel of vengeance or whatever but in my mind i was thinking like he his brain's fucked up so he has talked himself into the fact that he can't feel pain Mm -hmm. which is ultimately reinforcing his whole like superman but if he gets burned in the face then yeah he'll scream like a little bitch but anyway we're getting ahead and let's highlight some really good moments of this movie (laughs) and keep moving forward (laughs) or this will be a four-hour podcast (laughs) um so i think one of the first things like where he officially is starting to attack the family is first and foremost is the dog where he poisons the dog and this Mm -hmm. causes is a lot of um, tension where Sam Bonin's he has he needs the knowledge he knows what's happening and he knows what he did but he's leaving that out from leaving that away from his wife Lee and daughter Danny so they don't even understand they just think that maybe it eats something or whatever they have no concept mm-hmm. of this but as we keep going on, we learn about uh, Bowden's infidelity and we meet his uh, not full mistress, I guess, in theory, because they he claimed they didn't really sleep in together. But clearly infidelity th- things are going on. And he's also like emotionally preying on her clearly, oh, too. And totally yeah. like, yeah, yeah, he definitely is looking for some, I think, like. Maybe something he feels like he's not getting out of his marriage again, like not justifying it. But he's like, oh, she's just like batting her eyes at me and making me feel like I'm like a man. So I'm going to go off for this younger, pretty girl. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's sick and disgusting. But I think like it was a good point. I think overall with her fate, which is probably not going to be too far away from where I'm going, is that I thought that was like one of improvements for this remake was that it wasn't as much of like what what do we say like tell and not show but like you know Mm -hmm. you kind of have to create in your mind whereas with her and her getting attacked so basically the next scene we're gonna i really want to highlight is that um bowden stood her up and she got mad 
And then lo and behold, Katie is just again watching everything that's going on in his life. He knows everything that's happening. He sees mm-hmm. that clearly ha- he has this relationship with her, which offhand I'm forgetting, but I have the cast here. It's yeah, Alana Douglas, in, uh, Lori Davis. Well, that's yeah, she, she's, she was in Goodfellas. Yeah. And she, yeah, she's yeah, you definitely recognize her. Um, so Katie picks her up basically at a bar, starts flirting with her, and she takes advantage, or she doesn't really take advantage of it. She's just like feeling low and down on herself. She's like, cool, yeah, I'm going to go home with this guy. So this scene, which basically we're seeing an actual like rape scene of what Max Katie is capable of doing and yeah. um, basically tying her up like biting her face oh it's fucking so brutal. insane and then the only thing we don't really see is the official rape but we do see like a shadow of like him punching the fuck out of her and you know oh, mm-hmm. it's super brutal and it it sets i think you were kind of alluding to this later it sets up this fear in you that like oh my god it, he is fully planning to do something like this to like Juliette Lewis, you know, right. his daughter and stuff. Yeah. Right. And that's exactly what I think his mind is going to knowing that the girl that he assaulted or and raped before was so young too. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So Bowden finds out that this actually is happening. He gets called down that this was going on and realizes it's, it was her, it was Lori. And kind of similarly to the original that um, she didn't want to talk. She is terrified of Katie and she knows what he can do. And he like, she's, which basically though, the goal was that if we, if Lori talks and they could put Katie behind bars again and be like, Hey, this was the guy. And, but they're too, too terrified so it's another like again the cat and mouse thing it's slipping katie keeps slipping through Bowden's fingers like nothing he's trying to do that's in the like ways of the law are working so eventually he starts taking matters into his own hand kind of like what we were alluding to already with hiring the, the people to beat up katie um but also having uh that private investigator come in and basically be like i i'll kill him for you if you want me mm-hmm. to type thing Mm-hmm. So he eventually alludes that he has to get down on Katie's level to actually defeat him in this case, which is basically mm-hmm. what we see throughout the rest of the movie. It, it's 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 funny because like they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get down to his level. You have to just be willing to kill this guy because mm-hmm. he's he's a monster. Yeah. Like that like you can't redeem this guy and if That's you're not what I kept thinking to- the whole time. And this is again, this is you know, Monday morning quarterback thing, but the whole time I'm just thinking, I'm like, yeah, I would just shoot, I would just yeah. bl- shoot this guy in the back of the head when he's sitting in his car yeah. <laughs> or yeah. whatever. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't expect me to do that. I'm just going to, I would just, I think I would just murder him. I, I, mean, right. I, like, I don't know I'm incriminating myself here, but. I feel like we also see these type, this type of theme throughout it. I mean, immediately when you said something about shooting someone in the back of the head, I was like thinking of Sons of Anarchy, which I yeah. watched like multiple yeah. times. And it's just like, yeah. you see yeah. that even just that constant state of like, you want to stay above bar constantly, mm-hmm. but you're mm-hmm. constantly drugged back under. The, yeah. And it, I, I think it's just because like the, the scene with Alana Douglas is so harsh and brutal mm-hmm. because then you just know at that point, there's no going back. There's right. no redeeming Katie. There's no, like, you know what his intentions are. Mm-hmm. So like the scene where he pulls up on Jessica Lang outside the mansion, mm-hmm. yeah, she should have just shot him and then claim self-defense. Yeah. Right. But like, in that point, too, the unfortunate <laughs> thing is that like she didn't know and Bowden wasn't there. You know what I mean? Right. So she didn't know. Yeah. Like, he was still keeping all of that in the dark. 
um, from her. But yeah, no, I think because I mean, before that, like with the dog dying, we don't actually see it happen. We don't see it mm-hmm. at with his own hands. So we kind of still only have this like, oh, this guy's kind of creepy and weird. And I think he can do some fucked up stuff. But once we, that I think that rape scene comes into play, I think is the biggest turning point for the movie to say that, like, there's no coming back or from yeah. this guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a real world versus movie world thing. Is like in the real world, I think all of us would have armed ourselves and told our family, you know, about mm-hmm. this person. Whereas, yeah. like in the movie world, Sam Bowden is trying to shelter his family from his infidelity. He's trying to shelter Danny from growing up mm-hmm. to the point that she doesn't even recognize Katie when she runs into him. Mm-hmm. you know so like yeah but it's even to shelter him from himself because all of this mm-hmm. is derived from some sort from lies that happened years ago that he still right, yeah. he just slowly but surely starts letting it out a little bit more so like again i think one of the next scenes is what you just mentioned where katie uh pulls up to uh lee which is sam Bowden's wife um jessica lang's character and gives her the collar, which again, and I, I don't understand why it wouldn't even been clicked. Like why, like why would this man have this collar at this point? And then we find out later, Bowden exposes that, oh, that's the guy, he, and tells her who he is, but still doesn't fully tell her what he is capable of doing and what he's right. done because that exposes himself. Yeah, it's it's like that. And that's the reason that this one is really a lot more terrifying than Robert Mitchum is this Max Katie is because De Niro's Max Katie is using Bowden against himself, mm-hmm. whereas in I mean, I guess in the original he's doing it to a certain extent, but instead of using his um his past transgressions and his dishonest nature against him in the original one, he's like almost using like Gregory Peck's like piousness against mm-hmm. him right? or his, or his sense of decency and, and social norms against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's using the law and, you know, just also his ineptness. Cause like, so in this one, there's the 4th of July scene. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize this is a 4th of July movie. Yeah. yeah, it is. So there's the 4th of You're July welcome. scene and like, Nick Nolte throws a punch and knocks Robert De Niro down in front of a crowd and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, so, so you see like, you know, he, he has a capability about him, but like in the Mitchum one, Gregory Peck tries to attack Katie at a boat launch and like, he doesn't even hit him. Like he, he swings wild baby punches mm-hmm. because he's so <laughs> ill-equipped to deal with anybody outside yeah. of a courtroom. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why I think they definitely took, like, the depth that we could elude, like, with more themes. And I think that's why this movie, I think, it, like, does stand up a little bit stronger to that one is I think the original has more of that, just like like we said earlier, like, good versus evil. It's just about, like, law and order and justice. And this one, I think, takes a lot more depth to the motivation, and like why things are happening the way they are. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to jump to Danny's one of her biggest roles or scenes in this one is, you know, we can tell throughout it. She's just kind of like, which great does she looks older? I don't know how old she was when she filmed this. Uh, Juliet Lewis. Yeah. I was like, she like Juliet Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, she almost, she looks older than playing a 15 year old. Mm. And it's a little awkward. I think. Oh yeah. But- when I was a kid, I had such a crush on Juliet Lewis. Jesus. <laughs> God. <laughs> 
I mean, she was probably yeah. 18 and I was 12, but still, like, <laughs> yeah. I had such a crush on her because she, she looked like she was roughly my age, but yeah, I think she was a lot older. Yeah. So she has this, like, just, like, babiness about her, this, like, very strict innocence and naivety mm-hmm. to her, and that's uh, enhanced, like, when Katie's now, he's like, I have my eyes on her, and I'm going to start going after her a little bit gives her this like understanding that we're like we know what's going to happen in a way i was almost like the moment katie starts targeting her as one of like he's like as one way to get to Bowden. i just like have all these like really shitty feelings i'm like oh god he's just gonna say hi to her and she's gonna be like oh Oh, she's so cute or something i don't know it, like and that's what happens so katie contacts danielle or danny uh about uh schoolwork it, he pretends to be a drama teacher and basically like it's while uh Bowden and his wife Lee are fighting because she caught him talking to Lori and is like, Oh my gosh, you have, you've still been doing the same thing you were doing in Atlanta. So we're clearly getting a tune that like this guy is not the perfect husband in any way, shape or form. And, um, so when Danny's on the phone with Katie, um, he's just kind of like, comforting her he's just like saying the right things he's making her feel really special he's like i don't know he's a he's talking to her very inappropriately but like i don't know in a way that makes her feel like someone's there for her so they make uh, a plan to go um she's going to be meeting him at uh, like in the theater the next day to talk about um whatever they're working on or something like that did you guys have any comments about that before i keep going talking about that next scene i mean he just he just you know it's really creepy and predatory and this is a great you know scorsese storytelling approach where he you've already seen what he can do to Mm -hmm. people right and so you're like terrified for her right obviously for danny but then also like he's so like steve had mentioned like all the things he's good at are criminal things. And this is a great example of it where it's just like, he is good at manipulating and preying upon people. Mm-hmm. And in this instance, it's a child, a self-conscious, naive, kind of sheltered child. So it's really like, you know, like a, a heavyweight boxer fighting like a toddler. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. So you're just like, he's just can do whatever he wants emotionally to her. And you know, to what end he's trying to manipulate her mm-hmm. and it's just like oh i mean it's awkward it's so awkward and then they and then when they you know kiss and the fingers in the mouth they oh it's just yeah it's yeah. it's a rough scene brian you've mentioned already how he gives you joe rogan vibes yeah. like the the parts where he is like manipulating her by suggesting the henry miller books Mm-hmm. is like very that felt oh. most joe rogany to me because he's like yes here's my reading list why don't you check it out it'll really open up your mind yeah oh, it's like this is how steven tyler used to like pick up 14 year olds back in the 70s <laughs> oh, you know what i mean oh, like this is yeah yeah by the way guys real quick steven tyler's a piece of shit <laughs> in case you didn't know from Aerosmith, <laughs> fuck that guy yeah uh read up on that man it's not cool um anyway yes he is very much like yeah manipulating he's just playing that same set of cards that every fucking pedophile creep would play in this scenario you know mm-hmm. right 
Right. And you feel for her because she's falling for it. I just, right. But you're yeah. also like, you just want to of be course like, she's falling sweet for it. baby, she's a child. please stop. Like, just like, I was basically feeling like I almost wanted to like scream at the TV to be like, oh my God, just no. Like, why? Like, you could make a decision here to be like, should I? is this right and like but you're so naive and so young that like you don't know you expect the adult Mm -hmm. to be the one to like know if this is right or wrong and that's kind of i feel like the the game he plays on her when they meet in the theater is that he's like oh little old me why would i do that and Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like he plays that game the whole time and so then she's like almost trusting him further and then we get the scene where he's like can I put my arm around you or AKA put my thumb in your mouth? Just so fucking gross. And then they fucking kiss and she's just like, Oh me. Oh my, this is so awesome. And you're like, no, it's not. It's pedophilia. This is rape right now. And like, I don't, I don't know if you noticed, but like in this scene, they remove like all music. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It I did so... notice that at the time. I didn't write that, but it's so... You just have to sit in it. You know yeah. what? Again, going back to that uh, hunter prey thing, though, is that I feel like that silence works so hard because it's almost just like something slithering towards her. And like that's mm-hmm. the only noise you really get, and that's him fucking yeah. coming towards her. Um, yeah, there, there's nothing else to distract you from just what a slime he is. Totally. Uh, so when Danny gets home, she sells the joint that, uh, Katie gave her and this causes like some disruption. They're like, what the fuck? Where'd this come from? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bowden gets a hold of the, uh, the PI, which basically he says like, send in the goons to fuck him up. Mm-hmm. And also that night too. So like Bowden's just like, still just like, oh my God, he is, he is being shaken with everything and every he's being put out in such a vulnerable place by Katie that he doesn't know how to respond. And his responses are really fucking bad. You know, like he's just like, like, so him yelling at his daughter, he doesn't realize. So that night I was like, just tell, talk about the scene for two seconds. Um, he is just like, he, Bowden goes into her bedroom. Uh, she's sitting on her bed in her underwear and a t-shirt. And he's like, put some clothes on like blah, blah, blah. Like, so a, weird judgments like but i think he wants that innocence still within her and like but also to recognize that she isn't a little kid anymore um Mm -hmm. but then finds out that katie had contacted her and him asking uh her if he touched her and she just smiles and it's just like this really uncomfortable scene where like she's was actually really excited about it and you're just like no don't slip down that road. And well, he- she just like, she thinks like this is the first time anybody's ever treated her like an adult, even sure. though it was mm-hmm. in this like horribly like predatory, perverse way. Right. She is like, oh, because to her, he's harmless. Right. She mm-hmm. doesn't know the risk that he, he um, brings. So to her, it's, this is the way I'm getting back like i'm every teenager who rebels against their parents because they want to be a grown-up has gone through this but unfortunately for her it happens to be happening in a very dangerous scenario she doesn't understand exactly right so like she is just doing teenage kid stuff but doesn't realize that the stakes are way higher than they would ever be for any other teenager 
Right, exactly. And he knows that, but he still is not being very fully honest because he just wants to protect his family and he's trying to figure mm-hmm. out different ways to do that. But in what I think he doesn't realize is that he's getting down to, again, Katie pulling him down to his level and getting very, like, primarily responsive and mm-hmm. um, yelling at her and just being like, no, you can't do that. Like, but without any context is only in, I think, in her mind, pushing her more towards seeing why Katie is still an okay guy. And again, mm-hmm. another hint of why he comes off like this anti-hero for a little while. Well, because she times. doesn't know him, right. but she knows her dad's an asshole. Right. Mm-hmm. So if her dad doesn't like him, he's probably cool. Right. right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You want to do, say, don't listen to your parents unless they're <laughs> hiding you from a rapist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> unless and unfortunately, you don't know when that's happening. So do, do spot checks with your parents and ask them, "Are you hiding me from a rapist?" Every damn day, like, baby. Do you not Every... want me to eat? Wait, I can't eat three fruit roll-ups. Are you? Is hiding... it because I'm being protected from a rapist? No, then I'm gonna fucking eat them. Every every Thanksgiving and every Memorial Day, just like ask your family, am I being protected from a rapist? If not, carry on as you will. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's a new scene. It's a new segment for us. Um, Brian, I hope your daughters like never listen to this show in the future. Like when no, they're they would of never age. be allowed. To- Oh well, when they're of age, they're adults. They can I know, do whatever, but, like, but right, they're yeah. gonna hear these jokes and be like, "This is ridiculous." All yeah. right, so moving on, moving forward. I'll be like, "You, you know why I have all those melted corpses and fifty-five gallon <laughs> drums in the basement? Is because I'm protecting you from rapists. They're all yeah. rapists. <laughs> they're all just like he's the mailmen. Like they didn't do anything wrong. He's a I just killed killer them. right now. Yeah. Um, but he's like a vigilante. And this that's how Brian all... justifies his ubermensch behavior. <laughs> Hypothetically. <laughs> Allegedly. 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 <laughs> uh, word. <laughs> Brian would never so do that. He would, he would never <laughs> risk the fumes spoiling his Pilsner Urkel stash. <laughs> no. No. I can't be dealing with like that. It gives like a new nickname or new meaning to CryptoCal, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually just corpses everywhere. <laughs> all of these steins are all filled with human teeth. Oh my gosh. You just need to get a textured wallpaper that's a bunch of just like skulls so it looks like some sort of like, you know, under like ground crypt type thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. under Paris kind yeah. of thing. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. We. I'm going to have a conversation with Kate after this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'm going to be allowed. I think I'm going to get shut down. Hey, wifey, hard. can I just put a bu- can I glue a bunch of skulls to the wall? <laughs> There's already <laughs> enough skulls in this room. I'm looking at four skulls right now. So yeah. Uh, so clearly everything is escalating in the movie, and mm-hmm. Bodenhead uh, gave the gr- gave the green light on the uh, the goons going to town on Katie. And what I think this all this night that scene where uh, the three guys. I also I thought it was really funny how literal it was, you know, just like how literal they said the weapons were going to be. It's like a chain, and you know, and so forth. Two pipes yeah, and a white chain. They showed <laughs> up. They're like, like, "We're goons." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, goons, we, we boys. The things that they asked us to bring. <laughs> yeah, they came prepared. They're prepared goons. It's like they went to Ace Hardware and went into the <laughs> the aisle marked goon supplies. <laughs> yeah. It's right next to the murder, like, <laughs> yeah. murder supplies. Yeah. The, like, the, this is, like, a, an offshoot and a tribute to Jodon Baker's character. But, like, Jodon Baker's character is such a 
a vigilante LARPer. Like <laughs> he's he's a full on buffoon and he's one of these guys that you see on YouTube doing like self defense videos and shit. Yeah. But like doesn't actually know what he's doing. <laughs> he's Steven Seagal. Yeah. He, he yeah. doesn't know what he's actually doing, but he's just like a buffoon. He's like, oh, I'm going to tie a bear to a wire. I'm going to like get these goons with two pipes and a bike chain and then like he tells them you need two pipes and a bike chain because that's what he paid for yeah like 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 it was an invoice like, he, he, yeah. he has to be new you have to have receipts for the two pipes yeah. and a bike chain that's funny he's an idiot he gets caught immediately he gets taken like when it's his time to shine mm. he sucks and it's yeah. hilarious yeah <laughs> that's too fucking funny uh <laughs> So like he's got like a he's got a soldier of fortune patch like oh on, god or or our sticker on his Xbox that says like soldier of fortune he's just fucking cod larping yeah yeah <laughs> oh god um what I think this scene where the goons are going after him really shows is like how fucking strong Katie is and again goes back to that. Katie keeps slipping through Bowden's fingers and Bowden's watching as it as it happens and tables get turned and Katie beats the fuck out of all three of them. And I so again, like kind of like talking about him being a dullard, but this is just showing like how fucking strong and tough and um, unstoppable he is in a lot of ways. And so like even these very extreme things that Bowden thinks will help are not actually helping. And um, this is also where, you know, uh, Katie starts bringing in other things because when he hears uh, Bowden kick a can, uh, he starts like t- what tells him to ring read like the Book of Job and just talking about mm-hmm. a lot about sacrifice. And you guys could probably speak more on that than I can. Remember Bible study he's, today. This is like high level scripture. Like he's not doing anything too serious. He's sure. just quoting shit because, like I said, he's the he's like if Joe Rogan and Travis Bickle had a ch- child like that's what it, that's all he is so he's he's you know a yeah. pseudo intellectual um so we'll then keep we'll keep moving on in that too so he basically he knows that Bowden's there but he's just like again cat and mouse I'm gonna let him go because he knows that I won this round once again and this is where we go back to the PI he wants a fucking gun we're setting we need to set this up but um the P- i forget the pi character's uh name off the top of my head but uh yeah uh drinking the uh pepto and whiskey the whole time i was almost <laughs> gonna jump on the call and say like that's what i was drinking but then i was like too slow, too slow. <laughs> that's the cu- that's the custom if we start making custom cocktails for our episodes you just drink whiskey and pepto <laughs> yeah. uh, that's uh, that's also just again a testament to how dumb joe don baker's character is yeah. mm-hmm. is that he thinks like i think like it's alluded to that like he is a former cop and possibly former detective, but couldn't hack it. Mm-hmm. Well, but like, even he, like Max, Katie Max yeah, Kate even says yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't think you get his actual full backstory. But it, like, it's almost like he's playing Tom Atkins' character in Night of the Creeps. <laughs> Night of the Creeps. I was just thinking that a he, second ago because he thinks like that's what a detective would drink. I'm a I'm a I'm a hard boiled detective. Well, that's I'm a what his dad drank. Now. That's what yeah. his dad yeah. drank when he was on the yeah. force. Right. So, <laughs> so no, it's time for me to drink this disgusting uh, uh, conto- uh. concoction because I'm a man. Yeah. I'm a man and I know how to stop bad guys. Yeah. And also get my head sawed off. 
with right. a wire. That was brutal too. Fucking um, buffoon. So they make the Kursik and Bowden make the plan that they're uh Bowden was supposed to be going back down to Atlanta for a con or to it wasn't a conference. It was another uh, case like he had to sit in on or something like that. So they were like, Katie's going to be following me. He's going to want to know that I'm gone. And then he's probably going to attack uh, Lee and Danny. So I, you know, in theory, this sounds super uh, smart and like, oh, we're going to get him. And it does work for a little while. Uh, so. Bowden goes to the airport with his family, gets dropped off, buys a ticket there and back so Katie can track, figure out when he's coming back. And then basically they sneak back to the house. Kursik and uh, Bowden set up this trap with some fishing wire and a teddy bear. And it's super cute. And um, Kursik basically like monks it for a couple days where he's just sitting still staring and doing mm-hmm. nothing and just watching for this bear to move because basically the way they wired it is if any of the doors or windows open, the bear will move. Yeah. And Kursik will be able to shoot him. So first night goes by, nothing. Second night goes by. This is where Katie decides to break into the house and shit gets whooped. Um, mm-hmm. So not only this, so the bear uh, moves. He's, Kursik starts looking around. He just kind of chalks it up to maybe it was the maid that just bumped something. And yeah. so he kind of, you know, lets his guard down, drinks a whiskey and Pepto like a good man does. <laughs> like a real man. Like a real man. <laughs> like a and, goddamn real man. He drank it out of a leather boot. And too. we can clearly <laughs> see that at first it is the maid there, but somehow within seconds, uh, Katie kills the maid, is already mm-hmm. dressed up like the maid, and then uh, basically cuts off Kursik's head with a wire. And mm-hmm. boom. So it's, it's, yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I, I think it, even though it looks like the maid is there, I think she's already been dead. But I think maybe they just used her as a body double. Oh, because okay. she never she never faces the camera. And so it's just, it just like looks Robert like a De feminine body or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just took it took it as yeah. He he was kind of he was going uh, Agent Forty Seven style as the raid, right. Mrs. Doubtfire style. <laughs> yeah. Um. Totally. Yeah. I. I mean, this is pretty brutal. So basically, uh, the Bowden family hears the struggle. Everyone comes running downstairs. Everyone sees all the blood and all the dead bodies. So they're like, holy crap, we need to leave, which is clearly the stupidest thing to do. But at that point, again, they're like getting on Katie's level. They're like, we're not fucking around anymore with the law. None of this fucking works. We're getting out of Dodge. And this is when they head up to Cape Fear, Um, which, okay, uh, I was going to touch on this probably in the beginning, but I kind of noted uh, it's taken me in the beginning when Danny is like talking and then she talks at the end, I thought it was pretty profound for this whole thing. But I kind of like, I think her memories throughout, um, I almost feel like the story is in a way kind of being told through her lens in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys took that, but I think that's where I got the more Nietzsche references because of her talking. It's her, my summer vacation report. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is like, and this is like the the people who get caught up in and there's a there's a profound quote about this. It's like on the tip of my tongue that I cannot place right now. But it's like this idea of like 
these are the people who get caught up in the the minutia of the lives of just wicked people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so she's like she, she didn't ask for this she didn't do right. anything to deserve this but because the actions of these two assholes and the way that they couldn't they couldn't make heads or tails of their life decisions now she's being sucked into that and is being victimized through no fault of her own right right Totally. But I, and I do, I do actually, I'll read one of the quotes at the end, like what she ends. Cause I thought it was actually really good. Um, but anyhow, I'll keep moving forward. So they, um, run off to basically they're heading towards Cape fear where they have a boat that they're like, we can hide out on this. They, um, don't know where Katie went, but they're trying to just basically say, we're going to try to just like get away from him and hide away. Like if we think that he maybe ran off right now, so we're just going to run off while he's running off. So he can't find us. Well, lo and behold, he's basically uh, riding bitch underneath the car, which mm-hmm. I thought was a pretty interesting. And again, showed this like willpower and strength of Katie that um, is just horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, he like straps himself to the bottom of the car, basically. Yeah, and with then he like, just, like a, grips onto. Yeah, he's, he has a like a handcuff maybe or something like that, and then he's in a belt. He's a belt yeah. underneath him too. Um, it was it was pretty intense. Um, but again, well thought out. You're just like again, these are weird things that he's so conniving. Well, he's had 14 years to think exactly what's going to happen next. So he's he has drawn out the decision tree. A thousand times. Mm-hmm. So he has the advantage because he's been sitting and thinking and planning for 14 years. Sure. And it's almost I'm trying to think of the best um, way to describe it. But it's almost like you're in this uh, like maze and he just needs to put down like a finger or something, like a distraction right then and there. Mm-hmm. And then it, to get them to move the other way. Kind mm-hmm. of like you're saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love a I'd love another cut of this film that just shows Katie strapping himself to the bottom of the truck every time something goes wrong. <laughs> thinking like this is the time they're gonna run yeah. so i better get under the truck <laughs> and then like when he gives up and goes like ah oh, they're not coming all right yeah not this time uh, oh, do something worse. To now i gotta go wash all the paint off my face or <laughs> take my camo off <laughs> that'd be pretty funny um so when they get up- false alarm number 74 <laughs> yeah like like the scene in the beginning where like they see him on the wall with the fireworks in the background and he runs to the truck and He's like, ah, fuck, jump the gun on that one. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even think they saw me. Fuck. He's like underneath there. He's like eating a ho ho. And he's like, "Ah, I wonder if they didn't even see me. I guess not. He just waits and watches all the lights go out in the house. (laughs) Falls off the bus. Oh my gosh. Falls asleep and. Yeah. Um, So. I want to see this cut too. It's fan, uh, fan film, please. It's not even a cut. It's just like the a behind skit. the mask this Leslie like, Vernon version of this. Yeah, song. I'm like this sounds like a um uh like a a cl- or a skit that would be on. I think you should leave. Yeah. I don't think it does. That's what it feels it's like. The, it's, the it's the Max Katie True Hollywood Stories. <laughs> but it's sponsored by the um, company where the corpses fall out of the coffin. Coffin droppers. <laughs> coffin droppers. <laughs> <laughs> this is 
was all pretty good, guys. <laughs> um, so the Bowden family gets to their boat. Basically, uh, Bowden goes to drop uh, Lee and Danny there. I'm trying to think of what he exactly was doing while he ran off. Did he just go back into town? Can you go, oh, I don't know like, why it's like I'm blanking on why he left. Did he go? He didn't go back to the city. Who? Sam Bowden. Like Sam. when he dropped them off oh. at the boat. I'm trying to like literally remember that like why he uh, left and why he came back. Eh, I'm not sure. Uh, it's, it's okay. Whatever. I, I'm blind. So he leaves um for a little while and this is when Katie finds the boat. Uh or he basically rented a boat. Or am I mixing up the two? Nope. Uh he he did rent a boat. Yeah. He rented a boat. Yep. And then I don't know why I'm blanking right now, guys. Fuck, I'm not even drunk. I'm drunk on life. Um <laughs> Anywho, so he gets to the boat. That's the main point here. He gets to the boat and he starts doing his Katie thing to them. So he's kind of like taunting them a little bit and he has them cornered. And at this point, I don't think the Sam's or yeah, Sam still has the gun. So when he gets back, um, trying to think of all the different things. Anywho. Basically, he's just like playing out his whole. Yeah. He has a very thought out fantasy of how he is going to approach all the conversations and he's basically going to set up this like little ceremonial weird kangaroo court thing on the boat right. where he's going to in his mind he's undoubted like Robert De Niro does a great job of portraying the fact that his character has played this out a thousand times in their head mm -hmm. and he's going to mm -hmm. muscle through all the breaks in logic because he thought it out and and he's going to control the way it works. And when it doesn't go the way it works, he gets really frustrated because like he's had his whole little like revenge fantasy play out a bajillion times. Right. You know? Right. So he does get... Um Oh, yeah. So it's like a family, basically. Uh, Sam goes outside because he hear, they hears a noise and he's just trying to make sure everything's secure. And this is when Katie attacks th him there. And then that's when he goes inside. It's coming clearer, guys. Back on mm. track. Um, <laughs> but he has Sam tied up now outside. And he's, like you said, he definitely, he's trying to put him on trial. And he basically also wants to rape Danny. And he's like, I'm going to make you watch as like, I fuck your world up. And like, you fucked my world up. So through all this, we have different trials and tribulations, struggles and stuff like that. We're also, this is where we get the line or from Katie, where he has the flare um, dripping down right after Danny throws hot water on him. And he's kind of like, what now, bitch? Try something mm -hmm. else. Um, I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, was the water not hot enough? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, did she think it was hotter than it was? But or, it um, had to have been hot. I think it was just a matter of showing him like, yeah. you can't I think that's what me. they meant to yeah. say. Yeah. But um, it was, it was unclear the first time I saw it. He, I remember. Yeah, he definitely didn't just say what now, bitch. That wasn't the line, but um, <laughs> it was something a little that bit wasn't more a verbatim <laughs> quote. Yeah. <laughs> Paraphrasing. <laughs> Amazing here. Um, he puts Danny underneath the boat and he gets Lee in the back and he starts just groping up on her. But then like she tries to grab his gun, stops that, and he goes and cuffs her, pulls out Danny, and this is where he's like, boom, I'm gonna now fuck up your world and I'm gonna go bang your daughter. And um basically Lee uh begs 
him to, or he also then pulls Sam back into the boat so he can watch. Uh, Lee begs him to say, no, just take me, yada, yada, yada. Like I, you know, she just tries to play him and play into his own feelings. But again, like you said, being like a primal dullard, I think this is like a good time when we see that, like we see that he is just acting strictly out of like um, instinct at this point. Uh, Because I think in reality, he he would have known that she's just trying to stop him from doing something to his mm-hmm. daughter, but but he's like whipped up into such a frenzy that yeah he lights up know. a stogie and while Danny was underneath the in underneath the boat she grabs some lighter fluid and when he lights it up uh, she pours a lighter fluid on him and burns his face he jumps into the water and there's a lot more struggle too because he also at this point I think he un hooked the boat so it was no longer attached so it's now just going down this rushing river and sam tries to take control of the boat again but somehow katie gets back on the boat um and then this is where we get that whole trial thing where he's just like uh jury calls sam Bowden or whatever something Mm -hmm. stupid like that he wants to show off that he has learned all about the legal system right. and that he has him, he is superior to him and he's going to out, he does even does this monologue a little earlier, but like I'm, a, I can out learn you out, read you, you know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. like talking right. about how he has this inferiority thing and he is trying to assert mental dominance uh, over Sam as well. I feel like then that's his game the whole time too. It's just like one more way that he does it. I think that's mm-hmm. just his um, vibe there. So, Boating is able to get away. They start fighting. And then I think it was like the boat actually crashed at that point. And everyone's fucked up. The daughter and the wife are now on shore. We kind of don't see them until the end. And this is where I think that ultimate struggle of good versus evil. And we see a little bit more of the religious. Again, I think you guys made a good point saying a lot of the stuff is pretty surface. Like uh, Katie starts talking at tongues at one point. Um and then uh, Katie is still attached to the boat. He was like uh, he gets handcuffed, handcuffed to, to it. it. His yeah. feet are. So he's not able to get out. So with the boat sinking, Kate, uh, Bowden goes after him with a rock. I think he misses because of something got uh, it just, jumbled. It just, yeah. like, the force of nature pulls him, pulls Katie away yeah. from yeah. Bowden before he can strike him with the right. rock. Which is, and he's which beating the shit good. out of him with the rock. And it's one of these mm-hmm. things where like fate spares sam Bowden the final injustice because it was one of these things of like the thing that you almost assume that like max katie either wanted to have his plan go uh, you know obviously without a hitch but if it didn't there would be some sort of weird um joker style like satisfaction he would mm-hmm. get from sam Bowden murdering him because mm-hmm. like i am throwing in your face so it's like that joker batman thing a little actually, bit where, like, that is so perfect that i think that actually describes their relationship super well because the joker is always trying to put batman in a place where he has to choose to do something like kill someone or you know he just pushes him to the edge and that's what gets like the joker off too but like you i kind of hated i i actually i like the the max katie death scene but i you know, Sam Bowden was about to smash his head with a big rock. Mm-hmm. And right at that moment, the current like dislodged the portion of the boat that I, there's probably, I, I really think it's on. just like the more we talk about this, I think that's just some sort of like symbolism for like, 
he got pushed to that edge and like it just wasn't meant for he was not meant to like he actually ultimately kill got what he deserved like yeah just ultimately won. gave him what he deserved rather right. than sam Bowden. i yeah. guess right. and yeah. it was coming but from he, nature doing that and yeah uh, he he Bowden still has to live with the realization though that he almost he, he, he almost still would have done yeah. it he would have you know, yeah it's, it's mm-hmm. not like that's he true held he back. tried yeah. yeah yeah but yeah so almost it's almost like he gets robbed of the satisfaction yeah, you could look at it that way. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, because he he still has to live with the guilt of doing it, but he gets robbed of the satisfaction of like knowing that he finished the job. Mm-hmm. Rather, Katie gets dragged off by you know God or whatever, and deposited into hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and um, this is where basically he gets reunited with the family, and we come back to Danny's character doing her like little mini monologues there. And this is the quote I wrote down because I just like liked it a lot. And I know I missed like maybe two sentences before it, but it's like fear, I suppose, that to remember his name or what he did would mean letting him into our dreams. And me, I hardly dream about him anymore. Still, things will never be the way they were before we before he came. But that's all right, because if you hang on to the past, you die a little every day. And for myself, I know I'd rather live. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I like that line a lot. The end. Mm -hmm. So and now imagine it that she's doing it in front of the class after summer break <laughs> and she just took everybody's two hour class oh time gosh. to fucking tell about the time she almost got raped and killed. This is, I yeah. actually think it would be more of like she did a one man play. Okay. That's what yeah. I'm assuming. This, actually, This happened. is her one one woman show. Yeah. yeah. They I, I think the more that I think about it, you, you, you both are right. I think in that Sam Bowden there's nothing black and white in this movie and that was obviously like that that's just scorsese loves anti-heroes and he loves um he loves uh gray areas mm-hmm. and ambiguity you know because in that moment sam Bowden made the decision to kill him but didn't right and then also as i think meg you mentioned as Max, uh, Katie is drowning, being pulled down. He's kind of doing the ultimate flex, which is stare right into his eyes as he's drowning. But then also he starts spouting off all these like religious speaking in tongues thing, Mm -hmm. which to me said like, oh, it was a nod to the fact that Max is still a victim of circumstance because he was fucked up. Yeah. God, like he, it was always alluded to the fact that he had a fucked up upbringing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but now you're like, he had mentioned his fa- grandfather was a snake charmer and stuff. And he was obviously some part of some like really fucked up, bizarre religious um, upbringing, right. which warped him in untold ways. Right. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. like, in that moment, it's just the last little thing of, like, oh, the monster's dead. But was he actually also, like, a victim in a way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's always one of those weird things that comes up, especially when talking about, like, these monstrous type characters, mm-hmm. like, in the real world. Is, like, you see people like, uh, I guess, like, Edmund Kemper is mm-hmm. a good example. Because I, I believe, yeah. like, he was pretty abused yeah. On yeah. His, in his upbringing. Mm-hmm. But, like, he was also just kind of destined. It, it, it's one of those things, like, it's both nature and nurture. So, like, yeah. 
sociopaths are born, but just like the way they're shaped as they grow up kind of determines the way that expresses itself. Right. Yeah. You could have been the CEO of a fortune 500 company, or mm-hmm. you could be a serial killer. And right. It's, yeah. It's that's the, the nurture part. Right. Right. Yeah, so if you're shown nothing but like violence and destruction and everything as you grow up, then of mm-hmm. course that's what you just glom onto because like you, you're you've been given the green light as a child, right? Mm-hmm. In your in your learning to yeah. treat people like that. If you're shown just like lying and doing whatever it takes to get over, then like you'll gravitate towards being business or a lawyer mm-hmm. and doing what it takes to get over that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you might not be violent per se. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> For sure. All right. To wrap up mine, I'd uh, talk about a couple things overall that I felt like were improvements for this remake over like the previous one is that I did think actually as much as it skis me out and how much I feel like, but it, I think this is what worked in its favor is like Katie's relationship with Danny and how he went after her is like where I felt in the first one, it was more like she knew he was just a bad guy. And so she just like did a lot of running. And I think her emotional connection to him or like, getting manipulated so much i think aided in making katie such a um like scarier character for the whole plot mm-hmm. um i think even i don't think uh can we kind of talked about it in with sam Bowden's character being um all the characters really being fleshed out but i i do think that infidelity angle i think in like a couple of other ways we find out that he's just not a good guy i think allow us to have more dynamic emotions throughout the whole thing and even maybe even understand him a little bit differently so i thought that was also really cool yeah like uh, nick nolte when he's clean cut like he like he's a fantastic actor in this Mm -hmm. but like like he starts out so clean cut and is just like a disheveled nightmare by the end Mm -hmm. whereas like gregory peck almost never drops kind of the up and down boy scout yeah like he has like a few hairs out of place by the end of the movie and that's just not a particularly complex character yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. he's like a fine actor and i think that's just because of of the time Mm -hmm. most of this most of the acting in that movie with the exception of Mitchum is just that very straight up and down stilted yeah. you know, acting. Yeah. Yep. I think most of the things that I have left on my list to say that I thought were better. We already kind of talked about, um, but overall, yeah, no, I, I really, I really love this movie. And that was the first time I saw the original one too. So, um, it was kind of cool to even just watch it in a different way this time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anywho, yeah. guys, we ready? <laughs> all right yes it has come that time here so we're gonna have to figure out how we're gonna vote i will say i'm very torn still um all right so i guess the question we should start with is are either of you planning on changing your pick not my number one no i will i will do the same i will do the same so let's go in reverse order Meg, what who, the fuck? Who, who, you did this last time to me too. Yeah, because I'm the champ. I do what oh, I want. God. It's on the team. It's on the team. Um, I do what I want. I do what I want. So this is where I'm at between. I do what the, I want. So this is where I'm at between for both of yours. Okay, so with Crimes of the Future, it was with a reimagining. It was so I think like far removed from like any sort of hints, even though we do obviously understand there is some thematic things that are going on. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as like looking at what I think is an improvement, it is very evident that a student film versus a high budget, like 
theater film would be really great. Now with the blob, I feel like overall those were just really good movies and really fun. And I had a lot of fun with the new one. And so even though I feel like the stories were very similar, um, there was a lot of improvement that could have been made just because of the special effects I thought were amazing. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. God, this is such a hard decision. <laughs> I really liked both. Oh my God, mm-hmm. this is so stupid. But then also you have to compare just how good is Crimes of the Future against The Blob, just as a film. It's such right. a different movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, my movie is the is the odd one out here. It is. It is. Yours, because, is, yours is fun theater, like nothing. It's like a popcorn horror movie yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You guys have like these very serious themes. It's a fucking martin scorsese film you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> versus a fucking bl- the blob and it's remake, not even so. like i can't even look at this and be like oh i'd only i like i would want rewatch both of these movies like i will rewatch mm-hmm. both of these movies yeah um but again i may the only reason why i may have to give it to crimes of the future and i'm again this isn't my final answer is because mm-hmm. of how much of an improvement that we made and if we're talking about remakes and reimaginations i feel like this might have also been cronenberg's like i'm an adult now and i can do better work and mm-hmm. here it is versus <laughs> like you know a student film where we're just testing out the waters there um yeah. I think I should just not second guess myself and I'll go with Crimes of the Future. Sorry. All right. Dope. All right. Dope. All right. Dope. Don't take Let's, it again. Dope. 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 <laughs> dope, dope All right, dope. Steve, what's your pick? Ah. Uh, Brian, again, yours, you were really, next. It's yeah, your no, turn. No, but I'm in charge. He said, <laughs> yeah, you said reverse order. You did say I go last. Son <laughs> what of a bitch. Whatever the order it. is that I go last in, that's the order we're going to do it. <laughs> Such a jag off. <laughs> All right. Anywho. Yeah, this is uh this is hard for a, a lot of reasons. So, like you said, Meg, already about how the blob, like the 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 remake does improve upon the original in a lot of ways. Like it adds better special effects. You know, it brings it just like gives more life and color to the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it gives you like a wider scope with like how involved the military gets and you get explosions, you get sweet bite jumps, you get a lot of things <laughs> going on. But it's it also sweet. like, yeah, it, it improves it upon as far as uh, wh- what the subtext and commentary was, because we talked about how the original is anti-communist propaganda, but this one comes much more into just overall anti-authoritarianism of just like not getting behind your not getting behind your parents or the government or the church so i really like the way that that improves um the i i am kind of torn as far as like improvements between the two cape fears though because i i feel like there's a lot of good things in the original Mm -hmm. that that scorsese didn't necessarily include and it wouldn't make sense if he included because we talked about how much of scorsese's katie is like a pseudo intellectual whereas uh mitchum's katie really is like kind of an intellectual he spent his time reading and planning and Mm -hmm. plotting and like you you even see that in the way he talks about his crimes before he went to jail like the way he treated his ex-wife and so, like, he really has plotted out the law. He turns the law against Bowden. So there's a lot of good things in both. Um, so it's hard to call it an improvement. It's just like a different telling of, you know, the the, the real improvements come in the depth of character. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the, the way you get, you know, Nick Nolte's character with the infidelity and just like his confliction, uh, the, the wife Lee is far more active and also animated in the way she relates with people. Um, but it's also not much of a horror movie. I was just thinking that too. I don't know. Brian. It's a crime thriller. Brian. Um, But it is a horror. No, I ultimately am landing on the side that it is a horror movie because of the (laughs) psychotic nature of the killer. If he was just like manipulative. If you're talking about the original, I may may, like give more bend on it. But I still think No, the original is far more just a crime thriller. Whereas this one Mm -hmm. has a lot more horror elements yeah i was just like mentioning like this is this is the this is a horror movie the same way like silence of the lambs is Mm -hmm. yeah it's just like you you get a couple horror elements but it overall it's it's kind of a loose definition there's very little in the way of like gore but Mm -hmm. there's a couple scenes that that make it and the fact that he gets like disfigured and yeah you know the way overall menacing yeah he's so menacing yeah (laughs) my my note was um, this is an if we're if we talk about horror and elevated horror, mm-hmm. this is an elevated Ashley Judd movie. <laughs> okay, Judd. we're gonna stop just like tearing me down now, and you can just make a decision oh, that's there. You but... it's it's elevated. It's very good. Um, it's also like my least favorite Scorsese. Uh, at, uh, until I watched The Irishman, that one's. You don't like The Irishman? I, I like it, but it's it's too much. It's a lot. It's I th- a lot. I think this one's way deeper than that. Um, shit. So through all that talking, I still haven't figured out who I want to pick. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Blob simply simply because it's more entertaining. I'm gonna watch it more. It's like th- this is my least favorite Scorsese. Like he does too much with his funny camera tricks, and mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, and it's I just like you. the the the, the character of Max. This, but I hear you. Uh, yeah. the, ca- the the character of Max Katie has been replicated so many times mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in different incarnations. You know, Brian made a Joker reference, obviously. So it's yeah, I don't know. It's a yeah. it's a good character study, but I think it's also been done better more recently. Sure. Yeah, um, so I, I I made up my mind. I think I these are both really really great movies. I think the Max Katie is such a terrifying character, and it's so well played. But it is kind of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like take Robert De Niro's performance out of this. Like, what do you got left? Yeah. Not a lot. I mean, Nick Nolte's performance is great too, though. He's, but, yeah, yeah, I but, guess. But, but no, like, uh, like Juliette Lewis, the way you feel about Shawnee Smith and the blob of her being yeah. a dummy, yeah. I feel about her in <laughs> Cape <Yeah>. Fear. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I just was so impressed with Crimes of the Future. Um, and I don't know. It, it just, that movie, it's, that's a movie that really kind of conceptually blew me away a little bit and i think if i have to give it to it it's it's more it's got more horror horror elements and it also has um talk about taking a little something and just expanding the universe into something so much greater than just the sum of the parts that were there um 
Oh, man, just really impressive movie to me. The pull off, what a ballsy concept to be able to pull off. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And pull it off well. And it's not flawless, but just like. Right. Scorsese is gritty and he does gritty really well. Cronenberg is a fucking master of horror. Yeah. You know, like, and. Like Scorsese, like with, you know, with Cape Fear, like he puts in a lot of great things, especially like the, his commentary on the way the system fails everybody. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because, like, the system fails Elena Douglas and, like, the other rape victims and, like, you know, almost Bowden's family. So there's yeah. a lot of good commentary on that. But then Cronenberg just created all of this out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, he created this world of, like, eating fucking industrial waste and performance art, like, out of that didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is, like, it felt almost like it could have been... Cape Fear could have been a Stephen King short film or short story. It could have been Mm -hmm. another, you know what I mean? It just, it felt like a familiar tale. Whereas I can't think of one other movie that is like crimes of the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't think of another no, that's movie. Fair. That's like, I that. honestly, I would not be, I honestly was going to probably either. pick it ahead of the blob. Like I was going to pick it over my movie, <laughs> but that was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. That's not uh, how the show works. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Holy fuck, this movie's so good. Yeah. And Cronenberg is just like, I mean, I've always been a big fan, but like over the years, mm-hmm. he's just like getting to the point where he's like one of my top five directors of all time probably um so with that being said steve is taking home the belt for july and also i i do feel justified in rewarding steve for the big swing he took which was picking a movie he hadn't seen yet yes also (laughs) that said he took it he he picked a cronenberg film it's like "Ah, it's gonna be good choice because he he chose that last minute let's be real so we basically gifted you and i just want to say steve that meg and i (laughs) we we put our heads together and we decided we're gonna let our friend Repick. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you guys are really nice. So I'm not going to be mean with punishment film this week. <laughs> no dancing films. No, no dancing films. All right, All right. cool. We're gonna we're gonna do some Roger Corman, baby. Oh yeah, I just watched Roger Corman last. Time. I just watched the uh, fucking what is it? The 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 God God made me do it or whatever. Okay, did you see that? I just watched it last I, night. I anyway. don't think I've seen that one. But it's uh, a Corman flick. It's a, it's another one that you mentioned that you haven't seen. And I don't think Meg, you've seen it either. Probably not. Uh, we're gonna do Carnosaur. Carnosaur. I have not seen Carnosaur. Yeah, I've Carnosaur. heard of oh. Carnosaur. I don't know a ton it, about it, and I'm gonna watch it. Yeah, it I'm was it was Roger Corman's interested. answer to Jurassic Park, and I figure <laughs> since Jurassic World is out there and everybody's loving on that, you know, That's let's watch the funny. real deal. Get some Carnosaur. Wait, are on. these carnivorous dinosaurs? Or are these carnival dinosaurs? <laughs> They because all? I can tell you which one I'm rooting for. <laughs> I understand what you're rooting for. Oh man! Perhaps, the, perhaps you want to throw that sequel out to Roger before he passes. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's still hanging on. He's still yeah. hanging on. But yes, well, yes, cool. you were. You guys were very nice, and I understand you let me. You know, take a swing. Uh, I took a swing on something I, I'd never seen the original or this new one. So yeah, I went yeah. big. But yeah, it, it's just such a culmination of everything that he's learned and become as a filmmaker you can't can't deny it but because yep. of that we do fun we do fun we do carnosaur, carnosaur sounds like a good summer <laughs> he's teaching movie. us yes. we're nice to him he's nice yeah. to us yes. <laughs> whatever i won't be too sour this week guys next month is my month <laughs> <laughs> we will be at 
Yes, and we have uh, we have a couple uh, potential guests coming up here for the remainder of July. So next episode, we will watch Carnosaur, uh, a Roger a Roger Corman joint, um, <laughs> and we'll talk about that. And then after the week after that, we have a couple other things planned. One of which may be a fun little uh, fun little guesty that we have coming up. Um, yeah. Uh, as always, if you want to help us pick these topics, if you want to help us pick flicks, and frankly, if you have just suggestions for minisodes, we've done a few minisodes now that we're just like, somebody messaged us and said, hey, you should watch fucking whatever. And then we watched it and it was great. Um, feel free to do that as well. Check us out on the social medias at Halloween is Forever uh, on Instagram, Halloween is Forever Podcast on Facebook, at Hallow Forever on Twitter, Halloween is Forever Pod on TikTok, or, um, you know, like I said, on the old <laughs> Gmails as well. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> Steve's got a picture of, a, of what I can only assume to be a carnosaur behind it. <laughs> and there's nothing carnival about it, uh, which is, which is, I'm a little bit disappointed in. I want to go to a uh, carnival made out of dinosaurs and go on like a carousel that has dinosaurs. I want to go on a. I want to go to a carnival where all the carnies are dinosaurs. Fuck yeah, oh. same. Yeah, that's smart. But they're just the like, blow up um, costume dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, I was imagining when you said blow. I was imagining dinosaurs trying to blow up the balloons for the dart game. That should be very funny because uh, T Rex has such short arms <laughs> too. All right, uh, boys and ghouls. Without uh, uh, you know anything else, we have to announce here. We will wrap it up for our showdown episode for July. Come on back, go watch. Oh, it, where's Carnosaur? Do we know where Carnosaur is streaming? Can anybody I'll check? Figure it out. <laughs> All right, we'll figure it out. Check out Carnosaur and get ready next week for us to discuss that on our quote unquote punishment episode. YouTube. Uh, on the the YouTube's, I think it's on YouTube. It's out there on the YouTube's. Yeah. All right, seems like a Tubi flick. If you can watch on Tubi, do that. If not, uh, find it somewhere else. Anything else I'm forgetting, guys? Nope. That's it. That's pretty much it. All right, I gotta pee. For the Halloween is forever crew. I'm Brian. I'm Megan. I'm Champasaur. <laughs> Champasaur is Rex. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty Bye. fucking funny.